I hope your faces were feeling adequately melted there by the midnight. That was, uh... The Midnight's one of the cool artists on the internet who lets you use their music on stream and stuff like that. So so we had The Midnight uh, playing. What is up, chat gang? How's it going? Wow, popping off. Let's go. All the hype. Look at this. Big hype, too. <laughs> uh, appreciate you all. So this is the return of the Mephisto, the patented. No other Warhammer streamer does it quite like I do it. Uh, this is a return of the patented call-in stream. Remember, you're the show within the show. This is your opportunity to make that... Well, I mean, it's already kind of literal since chat is al always literally on the screen. But you can you can join me and uh, and 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 lend your dulcet tones to the stream by hopping in... Discord. We're going to use the rogue encampment like a green room, or uh, in the actual radio broadcast, it'd be called the screener, right? Uh, so that'll be like my call screener. You'll sit in there. Uh, I will occasionally, uh, as the show is going on tonight, I will be pulling people from the rogue encampment into the chat with me. Uh, it's a locked channel I'm in, so please, if I know a couple of you are moderators on my Discord, uh, don't don't jump in uh, ahead of time. Uh, I'll pull you in when I'm ready to, to field some questions. It'll be like a radio show. Uh, I'll, I'll take the questions kind of like on air, like, oh, I think we get a time for a couple questions. Uh, so you'll be able to actually like join, physically join the show, uh, ask some questions, anything Age of Sigmar, or honestly, I'm an open book, ask me basically anything you want, and uh, I'll answer it. Uh, you'll get your sort of... Uh, you get to, to be a part of the show uh, for a little bit, and then I'll, I'll sort of hang up on you, send you back into the green room, uh, and uh, and yeah, and I'll just, like I said, I'll be taking callers throughout the night. Uh, kicker dropping a 1,000 RDP to remind everyone, chat gang ain't nothing to mess with, and hobby bear popping off for a 1,000 RDP to remind everyone that chat gang ain't nothing to mess with. Uh, we already have some questions already, uh, and feel free, if you don't want to do the Discord thing, uh, as always... Uh, again, you are the show within the show, chat gang. So, talk amongst yourself. Uh, ask questions. It's it's a lot easier once once I get going here if you put my name uh, in it because then it highlights it. Uh, my bot will actually highlight questions for me. So if you say, "Hey, Meth," if it's at me, and you really want to make sure I see your your question, you can actually spend some RDP and highlight your comment, and that really makes sure that I, I see your questions there in chat. So be sure to use those. Uh, appreciate that. Fall. Uh, I think we had a. Uh, Take over Mars with a gift sub to uh, to Magos. Uh, so thank you so much for that gift sub. I'm gonna go ahead and make this this pane bigger here, so I can see all see everyone a little bit better. Go ahead and pull that over here. Have you seen the OBR battalion leak from Teclas? Locks you into Staliarch Lords. Liege, ha Liege has to have the command trait and artifact. Uh, and the benefit is on a 4-up. Refund the RDP for using Stellarch. That's it. That's lame. <laughs> That's lame. Uh, anyone have a... Trying out a scheme. Uh, cheers. I've got my... I've got my uh, 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 blend here. This is a red blend. Uh, 2017. Good year for cheap, cheap wine. Hmm. I tend to drink cabs and zins if you ever watch me uh, drinking wine on stream. So, <laughs> Takeover Mars is angry at LRL right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. I I understand. We we can talk about uh we'll we'll talk about uh I don't think I've given my LRL take yet. Um there is the Discord link provided by uh, everyone's favorite uh, space wizard robot in Cantabot. Uh, so if you click on that little, that'll get you a link to to the the chat gang Discord, and you can hop into the uh, Rogue Encampment, which is a voice chat. Uh, again, I'll be using that as the green room, as the call screener, uh, as the show goes on this this evening. Uh, I did see the leaks. I saw the rules. Uh, in a in a sentence, no, sir, I don't like them. And, uh, I'll get, like, how do I put this? You know what, I'll come back to LRL because at the top of the show there's something I really want to get out the way first and foremost. Um, I shared, a, I, I retweeted Doom and Darkness. Doom and Darkness, as many of you know, uh, content, a, a content creator from the Upside Down. Uh, really, uh, probably known more for the battle reports. Um, but, for me... Doom and Darkness was the very, very first content creator I ever watched. Like, if you can imagine a time before Haywo was Haywo, and he was just, you know, helping me kind of learn Age of Sigmar. His first video, he went to Adepticon and, like, came back and he did his Adepticon video. He he ended up doing that, uh, you know, the Stormcast spoof video, and that was where Haywo. But when I was first learning about Age of Sigmar, I actually didn't watch Vince Venturella um, until Haywo was basically on, I think. It was... A, 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 the first video I ever watched was a, a, a video of of Doom, Michael, in his truck at work, talking about Age of Sigmar. That was the very, very first... Um, that was the very, very first video I ever saw in Age of Sigmar. Uh it has influenced who I am in this community in ways, in more ways than I can ever describe. Um, that just seeing someone passionate about the game so much so they couldn't help but talk about it while they're at work. And I've even gone on to like release my little meth in truck videos as like a little bit of a spoof, you know, um, an attempt to appease the algorithm and, and, and pay homage to, you know, one of my greatest heroes in the community. Um, it's sad. Doom's a legend. He is understandably, you know, he's got some RL business to take care of. I don't think it's forever. Uh, a man of that much passion can't stay away from this community. Um, but I wish him all the best luck in, in whatever endeavors. And uh, I will I will miss him. Uh, you know, he... he uh, he would do his little like hobby hangouts and turn them into videos. And I remember, you know, some of my favorite, like I, I struggle with imposter syndrome. Uh, I'm pretty open about most of my mental health stuff. Uh, if, if this is your first, if this is your first rant cast, uh, welcome. <laughs> I suppose uh, it, it, I, um, I remember you know, he actually, like, asked me, like, hey, who wants to hop on a hobby stream type thing? And I would just, like, hop in in Skype. The only reason I have Skype anymore is because of Doom. And uh, I would hop into Skype, and, you know, I remember sitting there with, it was him, Tom, and Jack in one of them. Jack from Rerolling Ones. And I was just kind of staring around, like, I wasn't even painting at the time. I was taking notes for Soulbound. And, like, at once... 
my imposter syndrome was like just just smashing into me. But on the flip side, it was like it it was like is this is this you know that that to use a Hamilton quote like is this the room am I in the room? Like had I made it inside that room. So it was this like utterly like out of body experience for me was when that happened, but uh, but it, it it was that was the day I kind of felt like I'm like I might actually be one of them. And uh, it was a small gesture, you know, I didn't really talk a ton uh, on that particular one, because I really can't talk and type at the same time, or talk and write at the same time. But I just remember kind of being awestruck with some of my heroes, and then also, like, kind of being equal, and that was that was there. So, I mean, Doom is indeed an OG. He gave me advice when I started out doing Rantcast. Uh, one of the pieces of advice he gave me I remember the, the conversation was my titles. He's like, I don't know what the fuck any of that means. <laughs> like just in that in that like in that perfect deadpan way, right? That Doom has. And uh and the other the other uh tip he gave me was to make sure that I have Brendan on my show as much as possible. Um so those are the two tips he gave me. Um amid like just other generic advice and, and so again, I have uh Nothing but great things to say about Doom, and I wish him all the best. Um, and I'm not gonna say goodbye. I'm gonna I'm gonna riff on everyone's favorite manic uh, cartoon tiger and say, TTFN, ta ta for now. So, that's uh, that's that's it. I'm not I'm not gonna get choked up. I haven't had nearly enough wine for that, and. Uh... <laughs> I just I gotta get some Doom water before he stops making content though. I, I I'm gonna send him a message. I, I gotta get I gotta get me some of that Doom water. It's it's imagine how much the stonks are gonna go up on Doom water. Uh, Dreamer dropping a tier one sub for four years of friendship. Thank you so much, Dreamer. Mm. So, cheers to Doom. And I guess this is the part where I say, I am, of course, the magical Mr. Mephisto, the most dangerous man in Age of Sigmar. Welcome to Rantcast 89. Whoever, whoever had to bust out the, like, the actual radio voice for y'all. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be talking about the seven deadly sins of game design. And I'm going to take it from a take that my expertise is in. So I actually, uh, I'll, you'll get an anecdote about my foray into... Uh, game design, actually, which is something I don't... I mention and I allude to a lot, but I never really talk about it. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, and then I'm going to talk about these these seven deadly sins. We're also going to get a little gasp philosophy. I'm going to talk about Aristotle and uh, Rene uh, Descartes. And uh, we're going to talk about some stuff like there. Some some basic logical methods for, for helping us identify it. Uh, I have the poor, unfortunate timing to be doing a design show the day after... Uh, Vince Venturella did one. Uh, I wish I had had the foresight to watch his entire episode. I made it to them talking about LRL to to Tristan's question, um, and uh, and then I finished dinner. And uh, man, if I had been really smart, I'd have just like left that whole thing play, and then I could just say that stuff and sound smart. But I'm going to take it from my perspective. Um, one thing I did catch them mentioning is uh, when we talk about game design, you know, it's not necessarily a thing about power. Like, good design versus bad design. And and one thing I 100% I agree with Vince on 
is that we don't have, I, I think the average member of the community doesn't have the language, doesn't have the vernacular to talk about rules design. Um, so by giving you these seven deadly sins, I'm going to help you sound like intelligent when you're roasting the faction you hate the most. Because let's be honest, uh, most people are going to use this for evil. Uh, if you didn't, uh, you wouldn't be a fan of Rantcast, perhaps the greatest uh, online villain there is right now, me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so when you when you get into these discussions about, about design, when you see something that you don't like, you'll be able to go, I remember this being one of the sins Mephisto talked about, and this is why I don't like this. And you'll be able to identify some of those things going through, and that's that's my intent of the show tonight. And again, uh, the 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 call lines are open. So if you hop into the Discord, if you if you hang out in, in the Rogue Encampment, uh, I will pull in callers throughout the show. Um, uh, so so, and then we'll go with LRL. Uh, Let's see. Kicker says, so this means I get to be disappointed that I don't get a Cities of Sigmar army with one and four death units being allowed. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Severeth, Loreseeker, Wind Mage, Ruse, Blades, Archers, Fourteen Fitty. So I saw the LRL leaks. What what uh what a, what part in particular are you wondering? And uh, as for what I'm drinking, uh, it's just a red blend. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, Frontera, I think is the brand. Frontera, something like that. Red blend. Um, it's on sale. My my favorite type of wine. On sale wine. It's, it, okay, it's my second favorite. My first favorite is box wine. Yeah. Delicious. But I do have a bottle of this uh, this mango Pepsi here handy for when... When I get through the wine. Um, and uh, disappointed that it, we may yet see some sort of one and four mechanic. I don't think Cities of Sigmar is going to do a Shyish City um, quite like that. Like, I, I think, uh, I mean, LON might be, uh, sorry, um. Well, their lack of a punch, in despite their movement shenanigans. As far as the ruse specifically go, they're clearly not for damage, right? And I didn't catch how many points they were. This this text is so tiny. Lumineth sub factions. Yeah, I don't see how many how many points the ruse are. It's really going to come down to like, I mean, the the mobility aspect is something that LRL players are complaining about not having, and uh, who knows, right? Like, now they've got some extra mobility in a janky, horrible way, and 
fast cavalry that basically breaks the rules of the game with their pile-in shenanigans. Like, does anyone remember just, like, when Skinks basically all their War Scroll said was have an annoying retreat mechanic? <laughs> and how, like, annoying that was and how many games it just absolutely pilfered? 150 for 5 for the Ruse. Hmm. Feels steep for movement shenanigans alone. You know, part of what made Skinks great is they were dirt cheap, right? Yeah. G-Dead showing up and dropping five gift subs for a total of 21. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for supporting the stream. Yeah, the, um... So, this is one of those things where I think we need to zoom out a little bit. The points feel high. But, like, you're taking down... Like, you can take them in an army and, like, they, they are pillow-fisted. But your archers can help kind of bring the extra damage to the spot you want them to go and steal. So, I, I think, um... 120 for Blade Lords is insanity. Like, that's... that They good. You're going to see people sp spam the army of that. And you're also going to see the LRL in cities. Like, people already wondering, like, how do I break this? Taking LRL units. Like, do I want archers with Phoenix Guard? Yeah. Right? Like, just people already salivating over, like, over uh, archer spam plus Phoenix Guard. Like, awesome. I, I'm looking forward to cities continuing to be a problem. <laughs> uh, the Blade Lords are. They were called Sword Masters before, they're called Blade Lords now, right? Oh man, Mef's hair looking like ruby red. Yeah, um, so I, I've told y'all before, my hair is something of fascination to people. All I did was take a shower today after work, and this is what it does. My hair cannot be contained if it doesn't wish to be contained. It just It just does this. Yeah, Blade Lords aren't battle line. Um and again I don't I didn't see like the whole battle tome to see if like they're able to uh if they're able to like enable in the right sub uh, sub alliance or whatever. Ruse have a nation that gives them battle line. Yeah. See, and that's going to that can soften the blow for like taking taking Ruse, right? And 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 pulling some shenanigans. 150 feels expensive for a, for what what is ultimately uh a super annoying trick without a lot of teeth. But again, you got to take the whole army in context. A lot of LRL players have been confessing they feel like they aren't mobile enough. I mean, that's the mobility you want. And your archer spam is, what, about 30 inches threat? Doesn't care about line of sight? You can you can threat with those things. Because you know, they're, they're going to get about 32 inches of movement plus a six-inch pile in, in any direction, right? They're, they're blazing fast. With the tables going down in size, there's nowhere those ruse won't be able to get to, and probably nowhere you can't deploy your archers proactively to cover them. So I think there's there's going to be some neat... I think there's going to be some cool play in that respect. Um, I'm annoyed at the continued trend in general in Age of Sigmar that... 
wants us to fight in combat less. Rules that make us fight in combat less annoys me the most. This is a combat game. Uh, the game should be dictated by, like, positioning in combat. And it seems that the best units in the game are ones that, like, fight without getting attacked back or avoid combat. And, and that, that bothers me. <laughs> 120 and they're better than my favorite unit. I'm so happy for them. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Yeah. No, I I know. I mean, this is that this is that the only time you should look in your neighbor's bowl to see if they have enough, right? That's one of that it like that's one of those categories when other armies are getting buffed. Uh, do we need to know if uh, giant Robin Hood Rue gives any hideous buffs to the archers? I wish Source were actually going to be a nice change. <laughs> I'm I'm happy you did, G Dead. I'm so happy you bought a, a Nexus to to mangle. I want Sons of Behemoth players. I want this to be a rule universally. I want Sons of Behemoth players to bring the terrain to a tournament that they are smashing. I would love that. You automatically you automatically get my favorite opponent vote for that. So I'll go ahead and check the call screener here. Uh, no one on deck. So we're gonna we'll go ahead and uh, move on. Um so the first thing I want to talk about is is something that I feel like Tyler Emerson would have went into had he had he been able to make it tonight. Um he uh he had some family stuff come up, uh, unavoidable he has to be deal dealt with, and uh, I'm sending him all my good vibes. He's one of the one of the, the greatest people in this community, and uh, uh, so I'm bringing up first principles on his. I feel like on his behalf, it's something he talks about a lot uh, when he kind of pitched the topic for highs and lows of design, uh, which I had to pivot from. Uh, he's always conscientious of first principles. So first principles. Um, there's a if you if you do a Google search you're gonna get a couple different results. Um, I'm familiar with it in my sort of like amateur enjoyment of philosophy. Um, so you've actually heard me talk about one of these philosophers a bunch. I'll get back to that, that in a second. But Aristotle's kind of like the initial one understood to be like the first principles guy. Um, praise to the horned rat. <laughs> Um, so like when Aristotle refers to first principles, he's basically saying, think like a scientist and, uh, and saying, you know, what your first principle is in formal logic is that a basic assumption that you like reduce everything down to. And once you get to some, a place where you can no longer reduce that assumption, you have found the basic principle. Um, now this is going to be important for design and I'll tie that in a little bit. So this is a logical way of thinking about stuff. Kind of boring. Uh, the other one, the other philosopher, very sort of heavily tied to first principles and doing it from a little bit of a different angle is when I talk about often, which is Descartes. So Rene Descartes, um, you hear me say Cartesian doubt an awful lot that I live my life with a healthy dose of Cartesian doubt. Um, this is kind of 
this this is what I, we're, we're kind of talking about here. Um, basically, Descartes proposed that you should doubt everything. And if you doubt everything, you'll get to a point where you can no longer doubt something. Right? That, once you get to that point where you've doubted everything, everything I know, I like, I doubt it. I look at it skeptically. And I boil it down, and what I have left, if I can no longer doubt it, that's going to be a first principle. I talk about Cartesian doubt because, you know, whether it's, if I'm talking about, like, I think LRL are too good. Well, now I, I need to doubt my own belief in that. Well, are they too good? Well, what about this? And what about this? And then I'm going to go and as I move my way through it, one of the first things I'm going to do as I break that down to reach that sort of like first principle level is doubt that the 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 pile and rule is good. Or whatever it is I'm trying to analyze. I'm going to doubt it until I strip it down to a point where I can no longer doubt it, right? Um so like for me what I believe at a fundamental level is good for the game is going to be a little bit different from what other people believe. But I need to strip down, I need to sort of, you know, it's like Mass Effect. Uh, Garrus is always running calibrations. You always want to be running calibrations on what you believe. You always want to live your life with that healthy dose of Cartesian doubt. Especially when you're, you're talking about design. Especially when you're talking about things that you're trying to look at empirically. Doubt is a very useful mechanic uh, in 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 our, it's a very useful tool, in our in our belt of of logic. So, so the, those are kind of like the two main ones. Descartes' one I use, I I tend to lean on more heavily, and then you've got Aristotle is going to be your sort of classical. Which brings us to Elon Musk. Uh, I think I've been caught on a rant or two about how I actually think Elon Musk is a really dumb, a really dumb smart guy. Um, and. Uh, his genius is overstated, but if you search first principles, you're going to probably get a TED talk from him talking about his belief in first principles, which is a very self-help version of analyzing and understanding first principles. Um, so he, like Aristotle, sort of begins by by identifying your current assumption. So, like, what is your assumption about things? It's hard to analyze something if you don't even know what it is you're assuming about the thing. It's really hard to break something down into its elements if you're not even really sure what your read is. If you're like, I don't like this, why don't you like it? Right? You're going to need to find that... You're going to need to find that, like, initial assumption. You you have to identify that. This is very heavy. This is more fun when I have someone to banter with. Um, <laughs> from there... You look at the problem that you have, and then so you know, hey, what are my assumptions? Then you're going to look at the thing, and you're going to break down the problem you have, uh, whatever that may be. You're going to break that down to sort of its its fundamental principles. That's going to be the again, that Aristotle side of things. Once you've reduced it down, and you can no longer... It's like fractions, right? When you reduce a fraction down to a certain point, you can no longer reduce it down to another fraction. You found the sort of like l that lowest common denominator. You found that you, you found that fundamental principle. And then from there, you're going to make a new solution out of, like, out of nowhere. You're going to come up with a new solution. Uh, we've stripped down, like, we've identified things, we've stripped them down, and now it's time to solve the problem. This is going to help us when we analyze rules for things. Uh, 
Uh, unrelated to Cartesian first principles, what are the two cool big models behind your right shoulder? Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, the models, or... Okay, because this is fucking Dracula from Castlevania. That's a revenant from Doom. And uh, this is Logan. You know, you know Wolverine Logan. And then I've got a uh, Keeper of Secrets here uh, that G-Dead actually sent me for my Slanesh army. And I have a Counts as Keeper of Secrets, a conversion that Mars made me from a Void Dragon, and it looks like a Marathi wing. This is going to be my sh Shalaxi. I had to perform some surgery on it because it, it got dinged up a little bit in the in the ship, but uh, but it's good now. So this will probably be my Shalaxi. Uh, this will be like Keeper Summoning Board, and then I've got two Keepers that'll actually run in my army. So, so there you go. Yeah, Dracula and uh, Dracula and 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 Wolverine are fighting each other, and uh, and the Revenant from Doom is running interference. Oh, also, there's Little Mac. Little Mac is, like, is here, too. My son got me that for Christmas. Uh, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> sick models. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're just, like, stock standard stuff. The Revenant's pretty fucking sweet. Um, that came with Doom, uh, Doom 2016 Collector's Edition. Huh, get some wine here. Mm. Alright, so, in writing, uh, a problem-solving technique, so when you when you start writing stuff, and this goes into whether you think you're a, a cedar or a pantser, um, a cedar is you fly by the seat, uh, a pantser, sorry, or a planner, a pantser is you fly by the seat of your pants, like you just sit down and you write, and then a planner, we tend to, I'm a little bit more on the planner side of things when it comes to writing, um, <laughs> specifically talking about the conversion. Yeah, that's uh that's uh Mars's conversion. Go follow his his channel on YouTube. Take over Mars. Uh, that's his conversion. Um yeah, so um Panzer and planning, whatever. Uh one of the main things when you when you plan to write, we talk about rules of writing, premise. All about the premise. Premise can essentially be is your first principles of writing. So like you'll have a story premise. You know, what are you trying to say with your story? Um love wins might be your premise. Love always wins in my story no matter what. Whenever a problem comes up and I think about my premise and, and I'm stumped in my writing, I go, what was my premise to begin with? Oh, love wins. And so then you look at the scene that you're writing and you go, okay, well, this scene that I'm stumped on, love should win. The, the, the thing I'm writing should prove that premise. And you keep moving on. Characters will have character premises. Um, so you'll have a character premise that sometimes clashes with the story premise, and then this causes conflict, and this can be really good writing. Uh, you can have the the more com com complexities, the more of a web you weave between character premises uh, and and your story premise, the the more robust and interesting your story gets. Usually, when we're talking about a story that is bad, uh, that we don't like, uh, Twilight comes to mind. Um, Twilight is very inconsistent in its premise. Uh, and so when people are talking about how Twilight is bad, it is usually because it fails, not on, like, how's the language, how's the writing, you know, like, those things are, like, honestly, 
completely tertiary to how good a, 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 a story truly is. Usually when a story is bad, not like not like the writing of the story. When when just a story at its at first blush. Why don't I like this story about the thing? It's usually some sort of incongruency between the premise and the execution. We get this all the time in rules. When you don't like a rule, um activation wars come immediately to mind. Like one it was too powerful, and we'll get into some of the deadly sins and why this just all of this stuff reinforces why we hated the reactivation wars. The activation wars pretty much uh, trigger five out of seven of the deadly sins of, of design. And I'll get to those in a second. Um, but also, it feels like it's it activation wars are smashing into the premise. The reason, like the notion that if I charge you, I get to fight. That feels like a basic premise of the entire game. And so when something goes and defies that, it it's just like even if you can't say why you hate it, it's because that 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 friction between the premise and the execution. Um now good rules writers and good writers of stories, they're they they might sometimes break their own premise because rule of cool and there are reasons why one would break a premise or break your first principles. The first principles really, really help us when we're at an impasse with something or when we're trying to identify why something sucks and how to make it better. That's when we really need our first principles, when we need our premise, when we need to check that. A good, a conscientious writer is going to always, when they get to something that might be contentious or something that like they're not certain about or something they don't have a good excuse for breaking the rules, they're going to look to their premise and go, crap. This, I can't write this. I can't sell this. I can't push this because it violates my first principles. It violates my my premise. Okay? <laughs> you can catch up on chat here real quick. Uh, great fact video today. I didn't get a chance to watch it yet. I... I, I had to prep show and do all kinds of stuff. I will check it out, though. Because you said the magic words. You said it's about death. <laughs> Fecklor and Fluff is, is fantastic. It's, 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 uh, I think their Fluff is, like, 10 out of 10. You know, they're, they're the, yeah. Yeah, Flesh Eater Courts are fantastic. Um, so fantastic, uh, Vince, is, who is on record Constantly hating on death is buying into flesh eater courts. So, so if 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 a faction can get like a death hater to play it, you know it's good. Yeah. So, so exactly to your point, uh, Magos. Yeah, you're you you've picked up on something really really great here. Um, do I think, uh, you say, I'll read the whole thing in case people are listening in pure audio. This is a super interesting way at looking at why design fails and succeeds. Do you think some armies just kind of don't have a premise and that's why they fail like Beast of Chaos? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or conflicting premises. Oftentimes we hear something about, um, how like, you know, too many, too many cooks spoil the sauce, right? Um, this can be a problem in design if you don't have like a, a hierarchy or a structure, 
So if everyone's contributing stuff and everyone has, goes into it with their own premise, you can get friction with that, that premise or the first principles. Um, and again, I've arranged this, this discussion in a way that is that I approach these things. Now, if you watch Vince's show, I, I, he, he has a, a job in development and back end and stuff like that. So he's probably going to look at it from his sort of developer side of things as someone who's, who's written a, a, a an RPG. Uh, he's going to have one, one perspective on, on what makes good design and what makes bad design. Right. And I'm not contradicting his, um, Go watch that too. Uh, I, I personally haven't yet. If you go and watch, Haywo a couple months ago did a a design video where he talked a lot about uh, Mark Rosewater and Richard Garfield for Magic the Gathering and their approach to design. Right. Um, I'm going to come at this today from my experiences as a writer, and we're going to get into the game I tried to design in a little bit, and, and it failed. Um, so we'll we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. I I think. I see the world this way in terms of like premise and trying to prove your premise and if the friction and stuff. So I'm sharing, I'm sharing my way and hopefully we get some common language out of all this that when we go and we to talk about design on the forums or you go watch a Warhammer like weekly video or honest Wargamer and they start talking about bad design, you have, you have language, you are equipped to even to start really thinking about that stuff, right? From a very lot from, from that logical sense. Not to say that it's like an objective certainty, because that is the opposite of what we learned from Descartes, right? Doubt. We have that Cartesian doubt. Um, but you're going to have an objective way of 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 approaching this the topic and really distilling meaningful conversation. That's the hope. Um, so back to your question, do I think Beast? That's why Beast of Chaos fail. I think that Beast of Chaos, when I read it. I feel like it was a more like it is a a failure of premise, but I feel like it's a failure of premise because it was like too many. It feels when I'm reading Beasts of Chaos, it feels like the premise is either scattered in different directions, or multiple people contributed to it, and it wasn't. It didn't have a, a the hand of a strong uh, game producer or what would be a strong developer designer relationship. So. Board games, um, just from my conversations with with Travis Winter of Atlas Games and 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 um, and Emmett Byrne from uh, from Cubicle Seven and Elaine Lithgow from uh, from Digi Sprite Games, from all the conversations I've had with board game designers, um, they they tend to have a pretty rigid structure of at the top you have like a you know you sort of have your producer or your uh, your sort of overriding producer sort. Now, no doubt Games Workshop has that. They're just kind of like obscure in, in this process a little bit. But it also feels like they give their writers a lot of say and they don't have a no guy in that process of someone to say no when writers go too crazy, right? It doesn't feel like they have that. Um, it feels like their designers wear their developer hat. To say that another way, a designer tends to be the creative drive of a project. Um, I'm personally more interested in the design side of things um i want to write really wacky stuff okay um the fact that i heard that that games workshop as one of their core principles they don't want rules language they want rules written with prose now uh i think 
you know, hey, I brought this up to Haywood. He just immediately, like, deadpan snarked it. And, he, you know, he hates the idea to begin with. Um, but he'd be more on the developer side of things. As a designer, I think that's fucking awesome. Because, like, you're telling me that, like, when I go to write a rule, I'm going to, like, just, like, write the crazy thing I think it should do, and then I hand it to a developer after I'm done with the crazy cool thing I think it should do, and the developer's going to look at it, and developers then, those are your, like, sort of computer coders or your technical side of things. Those are going to be your rules, technical rules language. They're going to grab that and go, disgusting. They should feel disgust when they read my fucking prosy, crazy, over-the-top creative rules. And then they're going to bring it in line. And then we're all going to take it to our producer above us, or, you know, this could be a, maybe, maybe whatever your, your, your company structure name is, right? What a, that person above them in that hierarchy. They're going to take it to that person whose entire thing is essentially a continuity editor. Their whole thing, you could call them the, the chief editor-in-chief. You take it to them, and they would look at the whole thing and go for a cohesion, like a cohesion edit. This doesn't fit there, because they're going to have their first principles, right? We have to, they're going to be really mindful of the product. They're going to be really mindful of delivering the product. Like, what state do I want this product to go to print in? They're going to be the ones who are all about the roadmap, right? And, uh, you know, the re- they're the ones who are going to know the release schedule. You know, they're the ones who, who are very mindful of that stuff. So they're going to get it from me, the designer, and and Haywo, the developer, and we're going to walk up to it with the thing, and they're just going to like, oh my gosh, why? You're, you're writing way too much about blood. Way too much blood. And I'm like, but it's cool. Like, the viscerator unit I'm trying to design. And they're like, they're like, okay, like, this isn't a corn army. Tone back the blood. Or they're going to have rules things. Like, you know, so so that's... Kind of a bit of a product. Back to the Beasts of Chaos thing, I really feel like there's just an inconsistency in, yes, premise, but also editing. Like, it's just, it's not, there is no cohesive first principle in that book. Whether it's multiple writers not getting on the same page, a weak producer on the top or a editor on the top. Like, I, I read it like seven people wrote that book. I get the feeling when I read it, seven people wrote that book. And that's knowing nothing about their process. Because I'm just looking at the premise and feeling the pre- the friction in the premise. Or the first principles. Like, I'm just feeling that friction. Again, like, you don't, like, people are, are pretty intuitive with this stuff. Again, I use Twilight as an example because you don't realize, like... You can make fun of the the girl stuff about it, and, and I think that's what most people tend to gravitate towards is the Team Jacob, Team Edward thing. Honestly, most of that's just fine. The problem is the premise shifts, and it doesn't earn it, and, and people pick up on that friction. Just like someone reading Beast of Chaos, Magos, you, you identified, like, this premise thing feels wrong. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, you don't even need to be woke on this sort of stuff. Is it, I mean that that's that fucking tracks. If that's the literal story, it yeah, it, it shows up in the book. It's a book where the rules writer kept getting fired or pulled to another project and they kept having to hand it off to a new person. Which isn't like horrible. Okay? Like in, in games writing and under big projects, oh and that that's not even before we, we start talking about video game development, which I'm gonna talk about a little bit later and how that ties in. Like, that's not uncommon. 
the thing is, is when you have a situation like that, you need a really strong editor slash producer type. You need a really strong, like on that dev side, you need someone really strong with that stuff. Because they're going to know their first principles, and they're going to be able to bring it all back in line. But yeah, that's I mean that's the feel. They're going to need somebody on that top side. Like we we like to shit on managers and stuff like that in terms of like yes, you, know, you know when I get on my anti-capitalist rants, I really kind of like despise management uh, in the process of, of of things like capitalism and wage labor and stuff like that. But talking about the creative process and getting something to go to print, and you need strong managers. It's like a GM. In tabletop dungeon, uh, a tabletop RPG like Dungeons and Dragons or Soulbound or, or Vampire the Masquerade or Palladium Books, uh, riffs like you need a a good GM is going to go okay. I've got this story I want to tell. You know, bad guy crashes the moon into the earth. That's my story. And at the end of the day, I'm going to try to move everything towards my premise. And the, my premise is actually going to be something very specific, and and it's going to be like a specific umbrella I can put over everything, right? If I'm if I have a strong premise, so it's not even going to be moon crashes into earth. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be something like ideological, like hatred causes destruction. It's going to be my premise, right? Like that. That's you know, and the that's my premise that I'm going into the sto- campaign I'm writing. So my co- my players, all my player characters are going to have their own strong premises, right? They're going to have the character premises. There's entire chapters and books about creating a character. They might not go into it knowing their character premise when they first make the character. But by the end of it, they should have a really strong idea about their character premise. And so me, the GM, I'm going to have my lofty, my game premise as the GM. But I'm going to collaborate with my with my players to tell the best possible story I can by seeking harmony with their premises and my campaign premise, right? Now, your manager or your develop your or your producer or your editor in that sort of design dev relationship is going to be like your GM. Not necessarily they're a player themselves, right? Like GMs are players. This is something people forget. They just are looking at that product and where it's going in it from a different angle and really good ones are going to, you're going to get the best when you have some, like you, you have that harmony between the different premises and you're able to bring it and culminate under your one really great umbrella. That's where you're going to get the tragic death scene of one of the main characters, right? Cause the hatred and stuff like that. And you're going to have like one of the party members kind of backstab the party, but then try to redeem themselves in the end. That's when you're getting all that good shit. Because the premises, whilst they are, whilst they they can, they will cause conflict in a narrative sense. There should be a harmony in how the premises come come through in the story. So, anyone in chat have any tips for stabilizing Twitch connections? Uh, the first and foremost thing is you should do is in the corner. Uh, of Twitch, uh, you should have the little like cog for settings. It's quality defaults to auto. Drop the quality to the lowest you can get it at, and that almost that stabilizes stuff mostly. Mm. Pardon me. All right, so so um, like I said, first principles, premise. The the keep these in mind. These are really important. 
this is the this is the foundation of everything we talk about in in rules and stuff like that. Um, you know, the rules of writing. You'll hear me talk about when I'm talking about like when I write a fiction story. It's the same thing for rules writing. It's it's the same thing for nonfiction writing. Even nonfiction stories have a premise. If I'm going to write a biography about my mom, my premise is, you know, my mom lived a complicated life but was a good person. Or that's that's a crappy premise, but uh, I'd have to refine it down and because you want that it to be a premise should usually be something you can say in like four or five words, like it should be punchy, like as as just a punch to the mouth, no room for interpretation. That's a strong premise. Uh, my one story is victory through sacrifice. That's the premise of the whole thing. So like at any time something happens. Uh, like, I have to look at, like, well, how do the characters succeed? There has to be sacrifice. Like, that's the premise of my one story. That's a pretty straightforward premise. Anytime I have a question about the direction of my game, my story that I'm writing, what is it? Victory through sacrifice. Um, like, the one I'm working on for Vampire has a lot to do with uh, inner demons. Uh, we're all monsters inside, I think, is the premise. But that doesn't give me an action. You You need it to, like good premise should have action. That doesn't have action, so I need to refine that premise, right? That's why I haven't run that game yet. I'm still trying to figure out the good premise. Um, same thing in story writing, in, in rules writing. You know, you're when you sit down to write a rule about a charge mechanic, you're gonna, your book's gonna have a premise, right? Like, bone daddies collect the tithe. Right? Like, there's your premise. They collect the tithe. That's what they do. Undead supermen take your bones. That's your premise. So that's my overriding premise. When I go to write a rule, I'm going to think about that rule. Okay, they need to charge. How do they take your bones when they charge you, right? Oh, impact hits. Oh, okay, cool, impact hits. What am I going to do with impact hits? da 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 right? So that's that's how I would approach writing a rule in in a, in a in an Ossiarch Bone Reapers book, right? I my developer, whoever handed me down the task to write for that book, says, this is what we want you to write. And I would go, okay, okay. Like, I would sort through that, and then, like, now I have, okay, I need a cavalry unit. How does my cavalry unit serve the premise? Okay, now I need to write a rule. How do I write a rule that serves the premise? And so on and so forth, and so on, and, and, and yada, yada, yada. Now, I'm trying to ingrain premise into you, so I won't talk about the times you break your premise. Uh, that's, that's like, that's like tier two. Uh, that's, that's the next layer when you can break your premise. Uh, most, if you talk about how I went to university, I had, you know, you, you go 100 level courses, 200 level courses, 300, 400, and then you should be graduated. Right. Um, so like you don't learn to break your premise until 300 level courses because it's really hard to break your premise in a way that people reading your story or reading a rule will be like, it breaks the premise because they remember people pick up on these patterns subconsciously for 200,000 years. We've been telling people stories and writing people pictures and interpreting language in this manner. Humans are very perceptive when it comes to that. They might not have the language to say this breaks the premise and it sucks now. That's why I don't like the story. Like, or it doesn't do a good job of proving its premise. That's another reason why you would dislike a story without even realizing it. It doesn't do a good job of proving its premise. It doesn't do a really good job of, like, executing its first principles. 
It doesn't. It knows what it is the whole time. It just doesn't do it well. It it doesn't get there big enough. It doesn't get there resoundingly enough, right? Um, so it's a really really difficult task to break your pre- your your premise, but have a reader not feel that friction in the bad way and go. That was awesome. You know, like sometimes you can. Well, that's that's for later. Yeah, uh, yeah. It is a solo rant tonight. A uh, guest had family stuff, so so we had to. I had to re. Uh, I had to re-kajigger the uh, the format and uh, approach it from something a little bit more my style. Um, we're also doing a call-in show, so uh, I'd like to remind everyone you can join the chat gang Discord and uh, hop into the uh, rogue encampment treat that like a little bit of a green room and throughout the show I can pull callers down and like a radio call-in show uh, you can ask me questions about anything Age of Sigmar related nerd related or really anything honestly I'm, a, I'm an open book so um, yeah so premise 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 uh, this is the most important thing to hammer hammer into people I think when it talks about like what is good design um, again I don't know how Haywo approached Halo approached his design uh, show different than I do. Uh, Vince probably approached his different than I do. Um, for me, I'm all about the premise. I think that if you have those strong first principles, you have a strong premise. You can do a lot of good writing. It all starts from there. You know, it's ground. It's 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 foundational. It is ground up. I taught you how to get down to identifying first principles, and now we're gonna kind of work into my uh, sort of seven deadly sins as it, as it were so any callers on deck no callers on deck all right we're gonna no one in the screener here no one on the teleprompter uh yeah. cheers chat gang so i have as many of you know uh i've been around nerd stuff virtually my entire life um I had a, I had a Nintendo NES. My uncle had a Commodore 64 and an Atari 2600. Like, I grew up around console gaming. Uh, when I was in about the fourth grade. Now, in the second grade, I read The Hobbit, did a book report on that. That got me. I was a, at an advanced reader level, so I immediately jumped to reading Lord of the Rings and so on and so forth. And by by the fifth grade, I was reading Stephen King because Goosebumps and Animorphs weren't quite doing it for me anymore. So uh, I missed out on Harry Potter because by the time Harry Potter was catching on, I'd already read past that. I had guilty pleasures growing up of reading Dragonlance, Dristu Orden, and uh, Star Wars Expanded Universe. Uh, so I'd be reading heady, lofty stuff because I was very arrogant about my reading level. So you'd see me reading Kurt Vonnegut or... Anthony Burgess, or, you know, you'd you'd see me reading, like, headier fiction, but then secretly at home, all I'm doing before I go to bed is just burning through, like, a, a Star Wars book or something. Um, so, later on in life, <laughs> yeah, Dragonlance is the shit. Team Raceland. <laughs> all the way. Um, uh... The, uh, the point is, uh, so around fourth grade, I went over to my friend's house. Uh, his older brother w- ran us in a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it, was, it would have been AD&D about this time. Possibly truly second ed, though I don't remember. Uh, I played an elf. 
who had a pair of throwing daggers that returned when I threw them. That was the character. Um, I believe it was class elf, because in those days, elf was a class, as was dwarf. So I was an elf who threw daggers that returned to him. Uh, they were silver. And uh, everything that I had loved kind of came together. My enjoyment of the Zelda game on my, on my Nintendo, uh, my love of Dragonlance and Drist and stuff like that, and, uh, and it was like playing a video game and telling a story all at the same time. The first thing I ever said I wanted to be, when people are, are like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they ask you that question. The very first thing I ever said I wanted to be was a writer and an illustrator of my own books. As I got older, the illustrator part dropped off because I was forced to specialize as one's forced to do when you go off to college. But that was the first thing I ever wanted to be. So um, I was just, I was, I was, you add in like the Ninja Turtles and some Raw Doll and Phantom Tollbooth and stuff like that. Like I was primed to be a, a Omni nerd. So when I played Dungeons and Dragons that first time, I was like, this is basically the coolest thing ever. Fast forward a few years, I moved away from that friend. Um, I start telling like little Dungeons and Dragon-esque stories in our backyard, in my backyard with my friends where like instead of, because we didn't have dice to roll, I would be like, well, what do you do? And then they would tell me what they did and I would tell them whether it worked or not. And, you know, really like sort of narrating uh, a, a game. This is how, I, why if you watch the best damn Soulbound show, the way I GM now is still very much steeped in those those days in the backyard with my friends. Like, it's very much still that style. Oh, what do you do? Okay, yeah. And then, like, rolling with it, right? Basically improv, but I didn't know at the time. You know, I didn't... I didn't, I didn't theater came came later on. Uh, so when I get to get to middle school, I meet my friend Sam. Uh, Sam was just on the Sunday show with me and, and, and Joe, and he's a little quiet on the internet, but in person, if you're familiar with, like, great conversation. He's, he's you know, my oldest friend in the world. In sixth grade, I meet him. End up heading over to his house. He's got the TMNT RPG by Palladium Books on a shelf next to his High Elf Army and some Legos and some G.I. Joes. Like, and some comic books. And I make my first TMNT RPG character. You know, he's like, oh yeah, this is like Dungeons and Dragons, but different, right? And so I was obsessed with, with, with Palladium. I immediately started writing my own RPG. In, uh... In the seventh grade, I wrote a Final Fantasy-inspired RPG. Uh, my grandma sent me a bunch of stuff from my from my past. I never found it. I do know that I made a custom race called Gato Men. Um, I thought I was super clever making a cat race. Uh, I made chocobos. Uh, I thought it was really funny to design a special attack where you hit people in the nuts with a bow staff. So I had a there was a literal nut shot special attack that was a, that had special its own special rules. Uh, I like the idea of limit breaks. Final Fantasy VII uh, came out a little bit later, uh, but you know Final Fantasy III at the time, you know, really six was an obsession of mine, and uh, I loved the special abilities of the characters. So I was really obsessed with writing special abilities into my RPG. Um, that was that was my first taste of, of design. I have never stopped. So that's a little little history on me. That's your sort of, uh, you know, appeal to authority, right? Like this is how I've never stopped designing games. Uh, I've I homebrew basically most of my encounters. Um, I stopped using modules the minute I stopped 
with uh, I was a Living Greyhawk uh, RPGA certified Living Greyhawk GM for a, uh, sorry DM for a long time. I uh, used to go to Gen Cons and run run modules for people. Uh, I don't like modules. Uh, I feel too confined with them. Um, so I have a very very laissez-faire fair, uh, style when it comes to rules. And I need to put that, I need to outline that too. I'm, again, very much on the designer side of things, the creative side of things. Um, I do like rules. I love rules language. The easiest way to write a rule in Dungeons & Dragons is literally to just copy and paste a rule that exists, switch the cosmetics and the, and the, and the, the nouns, like what's it look like and what are you using? Boom. You have yourself a new rule. Real easy to do. Um, but it gets harder, obviously, the more you try to design new stuff. Um, so there's your pro tip. Uh, yeah, so my I'd say you like going off the rails, but didn't you run a train heist? So my favorite... So one of my homebrew uh, games is a Rifts, uh, is a Rifts game. Yeah, that's sad. Um... I have a tip for you, uh, Magos, but uh, but real quick, we'll finish this train story. Um, so the game I was the most notorious for running, I ran this three Gen Cons in a row uh, to get my free... So when you're poor, you got to innovate, right? How do I get to Gen Con for free? At the When I first started out, Gen Con was in Milwaukee. Um, so it wasn't that far from me. I, I lived in Green Bay, and so I'd drive down to Milwaukee at the time. Uh, so if you run games you could get in for free. And so I would run games. And the game I most notoriously ran was a train heist in Rifts. So using the Rifts rules, uh, I homebrewed a ley line train that traveled along the ley lines. Uh, screw you, Eberron, I did it first. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so there was a... Uh, so it ran along ley lines, and it was a train heist. I had pre-gen characters because it's easier to do that. I had like 20 pre-gen characters uh, with multiple copies. I'd throw them in the center of a. Uh, I'd throw them in the center of the table when you showed up. I walked around the room like it was theater and round with my GM screen like off to the side, where I would like go and roll dice behind that, and uh, you know I would like stand and stuff like that, and then you know sit down at the table and and like you know, engage, you walk around the room initially, like get people into it and stuff like that, and then sit down at the table and they're like, now everyone's engrossed. So I had a cast of characters, like 20 characters that could be on the train. Uh, I had all my NPCs that could be on the train and uh, like, you could be a bandit there to rob the train. You could be a, a like a marshal there to catch, uh, to catch someone who's trying to rob. You could be a marshal there. Who's like transporting a bounty head, you know, with the train, you could, you could be like like, like just random like pa like adventurer passengers like a whole deep cast of characters. I ran that game probably a dozen times, and it never once had the same outcome. Not once. By the way, the cargo of the train was a pre-Rifts. So if you're not familiar with Rifts, Rifts is a post-apocalyptic Earth setting. It is the most gestalt game on the planet, where like just all the craziest stuff works, right? All like there's magic, and you can be a cyber knight, which is a cybernetic soldier. You could be a boar. You could be a genetic super soldier. You could, da, 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 da. you could be a normal ass person. Like, it's crazy. It's it's one of the the most. I mean, this is 
it is not a coincidence that my favorite game, my favorite RPG is is Rifts by Palladium Books. And that the games I run tend to go crazy and have a bunch of stuff no matter what system I'm in. Uh, it is not a coincidence. All right, I love that game setting. The rules are terrible. But again, I design my own rules. So if I don't like your rules, I just write my own. Um, but yeah... Yeah, I see that. I see the waiting room. Uh, so, so, like, uh, I ran that. I ran that same adventure. The same adventure, just one notebook, not very thick. All of the out possible outcomes this is when I still wrote possible outcomes in a in a book. I don't do that shit anymore <laughs> because I always look to my premise. I don't write down the like possible outcomes. If the party does this, then this happens anymore because I just write down my premise. What's my premise for the scene? What's my premise for the adventure? What's my premise for the campaign? And I find a way to always serve that premise. Always tie it back up. But back then I used to write, if they do this, then that happens. Um, you know, I used to actually do that. The game never ended the same way. It ran about a dozen times over three years. Um, never ended the same way. Always different. Something I noticed was the players are always different. They always find different ways to take things off the rails. It's perhaps the most perfect metaphor. I've had adventures where they crash the train, like, and a, a elemental demon that is powering the train breaks out, and then everybody's got to fight it. I've had it where, like, they've successfully boosted the thing that was on the train that you're supposed to heist. I've had it where uh, they boosted it, but then, like, they didn't bring it back to the guy. I've had it where they failed to boost it, die in the process. I've had it where they've burned the thing, because they're like, this... No one should have whatever artifact this is. I've had it where they have just thrown a party on the train. Like, they just threw a party. I've had it where a whodunit mystery, a murder mystery broke out. <laughs> like, that's seven different outcomes of the same adventure written the exact same way in a notebook. Oh, yeah. Just turned into a fucking party. Like, they're drinking, describing their drinks and stuff like that. Like, like I I don't want to go on too much of a sidebar. Like, but it's it's still, like, one of the most iconic... One of my, my favorite moments as a GM was that, that, that one little thing. Oh, yeah, there was just a murder. A murder most foul. Like, the, I think the bartender got killed or something like that in one of the adventures. And they're like, okay, who did it? And they're like, one of uh, one of the guys was a... Uh, so you, you have, like, a dog boy. Uh, they're called dog boys, which are, like, genetically engineered dogs that, like, you know, get bipedal and stuff in a book called uh, Rift's Lone Star. Uh, or in the Lone Star Complex. Uh, so there's also bear boys. One of them was a bear boy... <laughs> And, like, usually the bear boys are, like, the enforcers, but they have latent psychic abilities. And uh, so, like, they could be, like, investigators because they have, like, you know, psychic tracking and stuff like that. It's not as good as dog boys, but they had it. And so the person who's like, I'm going to play the bear, like, I'm going to play the bear. Of course they want to play the gigantic bear, right? Because there's a little bit of, like, a, 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 a coalition circus on board the train. Um, it was a metaphoric circus. It wasn't literally a circus, but... You know, I, I took a circus premise and, and said, well, what if it's, you know, the future Nazi bad guys of the setting with their, like, menagerie? And so, like, I, that was on the train. Uh, and you could play them. And so one person was playing the bear, and he, like, 
basically started to Sherlock Holmes it <laughs> instead of like trying to murder everybody. So if you could imagine the kind of Timmy player who comes in that just wants to play the huge genetically engineered bear to smash everything, and then a murder happens, and they like suddenly get into it and are like, I'm going to solve the mystery. If you could imagine that player just in that moment, yeah, it was like that. Get, get whatever mental image you have of the type of person who shows up, hasn't showered in two days of Gen Con, like, you know, like the most stereotypical nerd you can get in your mind right now. And then imagine them sitting down and you're like, this person is going to play the gigantic bear thing and be a little bit of a that guy. And then they like start talking about smoking a corncob pipe and like the, like one of the like ha- like haughty like uh, like people dies like one of the people on the train like you know has like a fancy hat and the bear's like I, I take the hat from them uh, or like do I have to roll an intimidate I'm like you're a ten foot tall bear you take the hat <laughs> he's like good uh, I'm gonna take his pipe too and start smoking it I think that this is this person killed the butler <laughs> like in a whole murder murder mission like amazing I can't anyway now we've gotten off the tracks um. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go check in the person. Would you say Riffs is mythic science fantasy? Yes, I would. It's over the top. You can actually play some really hard-boiled, like, mundane ones, too. And, uh, Magos, I said I would give you tips on your module problem, because your parties never last more than a half a dozen sessions. Embrace the extended one-shot, my friend. If you are worried about not running long term campaigns and like leaving a bunch of stories untold start running miniature arcs uh like just like three session like to tell sort of stories like go switch to that like you'd be surprised a really good way of of thinking about it is think about a movie premise think about it in three acts one two three that's three adventures um and you know the first act you got to have your your hook second line Final act sinker, right? Hook line sinker, one, two, three, and run little three little three like eight hour sessions. And just do do those, and you'll get a lot of stories told. Um when I didn't have a consistent group, I moved around a lot. Uh I switched to telling a lot of like one uh I like to do like uh sort of like D twenty modern, like schlocky horror one shots. So I had one where a comet literally passed over the sky and zombies happened in the town. And uh, the party, like, escaped... It was called Die-In Theater instead of Drive-In Theater. Uh, The party escaped this, like, 1980s, like... uh, 1980s, 1970s, like, throwback drive-in theater in, like... I think it was, like, supposed to be the early... It took place in the early 90s or the late 80s. So they escaped this, like, drive-in theater as all these zombies burst out. And then at some point, like, a little dragon flies overhead. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? And the whole plot was like that... Uh, it was in the 80s, that uh, the American government w- made a, uh, what they called a reality flux engine. And the re- reality flu- flux engine was taking all the, like, 80s movie tropes and making them real because they were developing this weapon to, like, attack the Soviets. And so just this, like, schlocky, bad-on-purpose kind of plot, everyone loved it. Three, you know, just three quick hitters, three three quick sessions. Uh, have the party level like with their level ups ready to go between sessions, like literally be like you're gonna you're gonna level at the, this is why milestone leveling is great. 
Um, you're going to level at the end of this session. Uh, I had it to where I ran one like 10 hour adventure and I'm like, uh, I'm like, I'm going to have, uh, you know, intermission, intermission, intermission. And I said, you guys are going to level up four times, possibly five if you do something bonus awesome in the story. So have five levels of progression ready to go for your character. And when they hit that first story moment where I'm like, okay, you level up, they just grab the next character sheet or honestly just open it up because it's just a PDF fi fillable file everyone's using these days. Just opened up the next sheet, kept going. Never had a break in the story, never had any downtime. Like, uh, you know, it's... So I say switch to extended one-shots. Extended one-shots are your best friend. I haven't listened to the Adventure Zone. Uh, Rockwell, your boy, dropping a 1,000 RDP to remind everyone, Chat Gang ain't nothing to mess with, and Snitbag coming in with a one-two punch. Chat Gang ain't nothing to mess with. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and take a caller real quick before we switch gears to... Uh, before we kind of continue on with the uh, seven deadliest design sins. Hello, caller. You're live with Mr. Mephisto on Rantcast. Where are you calling from, and what's your question? <laughs> Come on, Rocco. You got to be ready, man. You got to be ready. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. So tell me why. I have a question. Why do you think Stalyark Lords are going to be the next big OBR push after this Broken Realms book? Why do I think they are? Of course, yeah. They're going to be the new hot thing with this battalion. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, fine. Um, the battalion is, uh, the I'm battalion fine. isn't. The battalion's a little unfortunate. So first of all, they're doubling up with an existing battalion, which with the, with the uh, the Cavalos Lance, right? And uh, you can they're functionally very similar without like doing much else. I mean, it's not really changing the gameplay of Staliarch Lords, and it's not really refining it in a way that makes it dominant. The best. Well, if I have a question. Yeah, yeah. If it's a way to get backyard EP as you spend it, wouldn't that make, like, the, the Nagash and Stalyaric Lords, where you're only getting, like, three or four RDP per turn, wouldn't that be a bit more viable? I mean, it makes, it makes yeah, it makes a not-the-best-thing more, like, viable, but you're not, you're not talking about taking something that's already A-tier and, like, giving it the juice, you know? No problem. Um, I think Staliarch Lords already is a way to play the army because you need the mobility. But the thing that, that like, it's not like the Cavalos Death Riders are actually the true backbone of Staliarch Lords. The thing that Staliarch Lords is, like, it's giving run and charge to your Mortec Guard. That's where you get a lot of juice. The the run, the run the, the retreat and charge is pretty good, but you can just take a Cavalos Lance and do half the thing they do anyway, right? So, yeah. It's fair enough. If if Cavalos Lance didn't exist, I'd like it a lot better. The the Cavalos Lance battalion because I can take that battalion and I can go play Mortis Praetorians with a Cavalos Lance, do part of what I wanted with my Staliarch Lords anyway, and then bring mm -hmm. the juice with uh with a pair of catapults and catacros. All right. Or, you know, leave the catapults at home and just really, really beef up on other stuff. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that's that's my initial read, but that's without, like, a 
a full read. I've only seen a couple teasers and haven't fully internalized it yet to really truly process. I could change my opinion as I as I mull it over longer. But my first at first blush, uh, I'm not a buyer. I don't. This doesn't. This doesn't make me think Stalyark Lords is the next hotness any more than it already. Any any more than what it's already doing is like viable enough, right? Yeah, yeah. Really, I'm more excited about the battalion box of buying the all the riders and the liege. Yeah, see that I already bought. <laughs> oh, like let's say hypothetically, I saw that Nagash in the box for Araco, your girl there, and if she wanted to go and uh, you know drop the the night haunt for some Bone Reaper. You know, in my mind, I'm like, all right, we got Nagash, we get that box, mm-hmm. we get a Bone Shaper, and we get 20 more Tech Guard, and then it's just uh, get some endless spells, and then boom, that's a whole army. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good value army. Uh, it's a good quick, like, sort of a quick hitter army. Um, you know, Nagash and, like, thir- uh, like 20 ponies is a pretty cool list, too. Like, Staliarc Lords yeah. and Nagash is really the only thing that's doing anything with... with I'm sorry, this is Rantcast, with Nagash. It's like the only thing doing anything with Nagash, and you can spell it N-E-I-G-H for oh, yeah. when you're running it as Staliarch Lords. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, run and charge and and retreat and and and, uh, and retreat on Nagash, because keep in mind, he's mounted, technically. The ghost count is mounts. Yep. So he gets yep. the retreat and charge, which is like the good stuff, and he flies. You add in the RDP for a plus three-inch movement, you have a 12-inch... Uh, you have a 12-inch, like, retreat-and-charge flying unit that can fly over people and start to do damage. It it makes Nagash, like, pretty cool. It helps you get the value out of him, because when you have 900 points into a single model, you absolutely need to affect the table. Um, So it's not... It's a really good way to try to maximize Nagash in a army that... That wants to... That really wants to make him viable, you know. It really wants to, but you're always going to have the the downside of it's a, you've got a single model that's half your points in an already elite army. Uh, you know, if, if you're not able to take people to the bone zone and blend them immediately, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have trouble covering enough table. Oh yeah, you need the you need those eight arcane bolts to go off. And right. Just nuke. Right. You need those D threes to get through. And he yeah. becomes a minigun. He becomes your catapult because you're just D3-ing every, like, force multiplier hero out there. Um, you know, you oh, you, yeah. you have some utility with him in that he, he's going to, like, Dikembe Motombo most spells in the meta. Most spellcasters yep. aren't going to be able to cast through Nagash. Uh, you're going to get, like... He even has a good chance. If you're you trying... If you're using Teclas and you're going to go the four spell route, you only need to roll eights to unbind him. You're going to unbind oh. a spell or two, uh, like, if if Teclis is only on the, the four-spell plan, right? So you're going to force him to try to go into, like, two spells or one spell. And, like, for just having Nagash, you have to do, make a worse decision? Yeah, I'll take that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is Nagash got a little squishier. He doesn't have redundant saves anymore. So he's yeah. a lot easier to kill. You're on that three-up. A, a three-up save evaporates pretty quickly. Uh, and one of your Gatling gun spells has to go to the RDP spell to get a D3 RDP. Yep. So... And section of Agash, too. Don't right, yeah. Yep, so you need that five up... You need that five up teleporting. 
Really, it's just the five up after save part. I, I love the teleport. I love the teleport. It's it's the when death gets teleports, uh, it's it's oh mwah, beautiful. This is why I'm I'm advocating so strongly for vampires to have like a mist form teleport style thing. Give me yeah. teleport on death. I will I will make my opponents cry. Would make sense too. I'm sorry. What was that? It would make sense too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also I'm le- I'm seeing these uh these teasers here for uh, this new main city of mine, Settlers Gain. I'm calling it now. I'm known for Living City, but boy, I'm gonna gain a bunch. Of- I'm just gonna go straight gains here. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be stuck more with these gains because I'm liking it. The Hishian City. Yeah, the Hishian City. All these pluses to cast. All of a sudden, you're, you're um, you know, it's it's like um, the Howl Heart City when you're getting all these extra pluses to cast without having to take the mortal wound. Mm-hmm. It's not as oppressive, but still rocking that plus two to your stuff. It's it's nice. Yeah, it's not bad. It's it's two thirds of the way to Nagash's bonus, and I have to pay nine hundred points for him. Yep, and. Also, the aura of a five-up after save from the Luminarch instead of the normal six-up. Well, not to mention the potential of going the one and four thing. I think that's there's going to be some low key. There's going to be some low key heat when you can go like you're going to take two, uh, two units of uh, of wardens or whatever, and you're going to support them with Phoenix card. That's a paddling, and and oh. now you have the compliments of, yeah. I I mean, ugh. I mean, you could take st- all the, yeah. Or, or even if you go with the standard build of like Iron Drakes, and uh, and now you're casting that portal without having to like stab your own dudes at a plus two, like yep. I'll take that too. Yep. It's it's got a lot of it's got a lot of potential. Cities continues to be this just like unstoppable toolbox of infinite possibilities. The problem is you need to make sure you own enough to flex to each city. Right. That's how they- Right, right. Like it's a, a brilliant capitalist move. Uh, do you have any final questions, Collar, before I uh, get you off the air here? Uh, no, no, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, long time listener, uh, fourth time caller. Right. But, uh, nice, this is nice. <laughs> oh, right. Also, how do I sound? Am I loud enough? I think you're a little bit louder. I immediately cranked you to 200% when you came in the call. Good man, good man. Yeah. Also, I'm on my phone to be like an actual call-in for the call-in show. Oh, oh, the verisimilitude. Nice. Ah, here for you. All right. All right, well, All right. I'll catch you around, man. Yep. Hoping to hear a click sound. Not quite. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I said before, it's called Broken Realms Techless. I expect Techless to make out in, in, in a book with his name. In, in, in the title. Um, the style, the Osiarch Bone Reaper stuff, uh, it's it's fine. Uh, I think the value of buying the box is better than than what you're doing there. And Mogwai Man, I think it was, in the end you'll come back to Mortec Guard. And I think that's kind of... Like, you want to run, you want to spam ponies, but it's like, with such a low footprint, you always end up just running some more Mortec Guard. Um, but that's, I mean, 20 more tech guard with a bone shaper supporting them is about as good as 40, uh, depending on what, how much damage your opponent can put out. And then you can take some 
uh, take some ponies to support them and get some mobility. It's 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 not bad. Uh, it's it's close to one of the lists I run. So yeah, so it's it's just the the nature of the army makes it difficult to like really uh, max out on vanity picks, unfortunately. All right, so I mentioned uh, sort of my origins of of game design and really being with RPGs uh, on, in, a, in a in a tabletop sense, and that I continued to like sort of refine and develop uh, writing, uh, you know, my own rules and a homebrew setting and here and then doing homebrew system there and basically uh, since my twenties, so for the last sixteen years, I haven't really run a game that's directly out of a book. Uh, I'll use the I'll use the skeleton of their systems if if I like the system or the setting. Uh, and then from there I'm usually just like redesigning everything. Um, Soulbound I'm running it a little bit more uh, out of the book, but that's because, you know, Cubicle Seven, you know, uh, I play tested for them and uh, so I hope that my name is in that book, uh, and and I'm kind of showcasing Soulbound with the best down, uh, best damn Soulbound show. So I want as more of a showcase of hey, this is the RPG than like hey, this is my random Mephisto craziness. You get plenty of that anyway. Um, so mention all that, um, and parallel to that, I've always been a writer. Uh, I actually went to college for writing, and this is where all this my views on premise. So just to reset that. But I did something with it about four years ago now. Um, so I had just published a couple of my anthology stories. Uh, I would do occasional Twitch streams and talk about writing uh, or play video games. And it would, if, you, if you're around me long enough, you're going to hear me talk about writing. Uh, I had a regular streamer or a regular uh, guest uh, that would come into the chat and talk to me. Uh, not not in the in a podcast sense, just someone who, who would talk to me, and they had a small video game company that kind of grew through doing uh, Reddit game jams. So they would make like a, a quick mobile game, flip a profit, and so on and so forth. But the uh, would have been the producer wanted to take the next step and release up something of substance. He had a roadmap for the design. Uh, he you know. We want to, our target date was a GamesCon or DevCon in November of that year. Uh, we had basically December, January, and then all the way to November. Um, he's done Games Jam. Again, they, they crank out a game a month, uh, make a card game, uh, sell the card game on, on, on uh, uh, for free plus some ads, and they turn a profit, right? So small company, uh, nothing bad to say about him, the person. Um, and what he was doing. But to take the next step, he needed a writer. Um, and quite honestly, I was the best writer he knew of that was cheap. And that's what it ultimately comes down to for this opportunity. Um, a lot of my pay was on the back end, but I had a lot of creative control. Um, I got a, a small advance and go, right? Uh, so I wrote the story for the game. Uh, and then I moved into some of the development stuff because we, I was writing an RPG. Really short, kind of decent RPG. Um, I'm not sure how many specifics I'm allowed to talk about, so I'm going to avoid specifics. Um, 
so we 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 wrote and des- we were working on this game together. Uh, we'd have conference calls literally every Sunday. Touch base with what I what, I, what I'd worked on. Uh, he'd put it into his design document, uh, and and we were going. So we were working kind of in tandem with this. We had a pixel artist, a concept artist, uh, a programmer, and I think one other sort of person. So a very small team. The definition of an indie team, right, for an indie game. Um, ambitious project, but with pixel art. I mean, it's the sort of thing you can make an RPG maker, right? So ambitious, but not out of the scope of things. And we had a decent plan. Take it, take a, get a, have a trailer and a functional demo for DevCon. Then our pixel artist hit some emotional problems. Our, when the pixel artist hit some emotional, like real life personal problems, the programmer was like, I want to go back to school and change. I don't want to keep programming like game jams my whole life. Um, I want to focus on like IT or something like that. And, uh, and so like the whole project fell apart, like literally right at the finish line. It was, I think it was October. It was in October. We were ready to get the basically get our, our, our video together for, for, for the DevCon and try to do a Kickstarter after that. Right. And it just fell apart. Um, but, you know, Vince has a success story of trying to make a game. He's got an RPG and so on and so forth. Uh, I have a failure story about the time I tried really hard and I threw everything. I am already an insomniac. I was working 60-hour work weeks at my job and I would come home and I would write for another another 30 hours, you know. Um, it, it was... It was taxing. I, I I basically didn't have time to do anything. I was an utter ghost from my family that whole summer. They never saw me. They never talked to me. And when it collapsed, in a weird way, uh, you know, the following year I actually go on to make Rantcast, uh, because I sort of I had a I had a mental breakdown after that. Uh, I had a, you know, it's not uncommon for me to have miniature mental breakdowns uh, every winter just like clockwork, uh, but this one was really bad. Um, I've talked about it before. Uh, There's a point in time where I had my truck parked up on a cliff overlooking Lake Michigan, thinking about like how I can make it look like an accident. So this is really... It was that bad to get that close. I was so close to, for me, attaining a dream I've always had. I told you about RPGs. I told you about how video games were that like sort of that first hit for me. That was like all, for me, it felt like all the stars were coming together. I was going to have my writer's credit on a, on a game. And even if it didn't sell, the producer's the one who's out. They're the one having to do all the money and all the hard stuff. I'm like, I get my writer credit. I don't, I get, all, I get, my, I get my writer's credit. I get to go on and say, I wrote this RPG when I go and look for a, a different job. And then I don't have to paint dirt for a living anymore. I, that was it, right? Like I was that close to making it. Um, in my mind, obviously it's never that simple. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, I got a crash course in, in game design from, from the producer, um, who had detained or who had, uh, gone to Rochester, uh, New York, uh, University, Rochester, New York, um, which is one of the better schools for, um, game design in America, uh, you know, I think you hear about Full Sail. They're probably just really good at advertising. Actually, UW Stout, which is my rival school, so when in doubt, or uh, when in 
when in doubt, go to Stout. If you can't go there, go to Eau Claire. I went to Eau Claire, uh, which is actually funny because Eau Claire is the one with, like, you know, better test scores and stuff. So, you know, get fucked, Stout. But no, Stout does have a really good video game developer um, uh, school. And uh, in in England, we've actually had... Uh, I've, I've mentioned Cubicle 7 and uh, and and uh, Team Digisprite a couple times now tonight. Um I've had both Emmett Byrne and Elaine Lithgow on this show. And amusingly enough, so they, you know, Emmett, the producer on, on Soulbound, and Elaine uh, has her own game company with, with her partner and, and one of their friends uh, called Team Digisprite. And she wrote Crash and Burn, the, the sort of first adventure for Soulbound. And she's had contributed, uh, had, she's now uh, a full-time writer for Cubicle 7. And she, she now writes... Uh, uh, you know, she's written bestiary entries and 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 other modules and so on and so forth. So so she's that's what she does now. And it's funny because both her and Emmett uh, watch those episodes. By the way, both of them are really really great. I normally don't like self advertise my own show, but go back and watch. Uh, look for the rant cast with with Emmett and the rant cast with with Elaine. Um, but to summarize it, basically they're both uh, in in Dundee, Scotland, which has. Uh, Aberdeen University, which is one of the the sort of premier uh, video game development schools, so they actually both had like a video game development sort of uh, ambition or, or or whatever, and they ended up in board games. So when I talk about board game development and RPG development and video game development, there is a lot of shared language and a lot of shared um, design principles. Uh, because at the end of the day, I mean, it's writing, you know. It's foundational, you know. It, we talked about premise. We talked about first principles. Like this is, this is, you know, it's philosophical. It is, it is core. Um, when I say philo- philosophy, I don't mean in the dismissive. It's philosophy. I mean the origins of science. Philosophy. It's foundational. Um, so a lot of the stuff I learned uh, is what I'm sharing, um, and it'll help you, I think, get a, a different perspective. So, without further ado, the seven. Deadly sins of game design. Um, so my first, the first one. Uh, so there's actually a, a, U- uh, a YouTuber um, who's used these before as well. Uh, they're pretty. Th- there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of overlap in these gaming communities. So the first one is uh, that you have the first sin. The, if it's a, it's when we talk about bad, bad design or a bad rule. This is the the very very first one that comes to mind is zero control over the uh, wind stroke or loss condition, okay? Or I'm sorry, wind stroke or loss status, okay? Um, so this is the one that I think people most often pick out on their own. Uh, this is the feeling like you don't have you don't really have meaningful input in what happens in the game. Um, so like it just my decision didn't matter. I had no control over it, right? Like, that's... When we talk about, like, agency in the game, this is usually what people are picking up on. This this sin right here. The feeling that you had no control over whether you won or lost. Um, rules on a micro scale can offend this, right? Um, you can look at the, the totality of a game. You know, the... I often see people argue that the priority role is is this one. 
that they feel like you don't have like oh and then I, and then he won priority and then he won right like priority roll takes away the the ability to win this is where what i told you at the very very beginning of the evening about first principles about cartesian doubt right boiling it down this is where we have where we're first going to check whenever we assess a mechanic to see if it's truly offending one of these we have to break it down to those first principles to m- make sure so in the case of the priority role did you truly have no control was that the 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 loss of the wind stroke and or uh or 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 loss status was that the true moment where you didn't have control over it and usually if you doubt yourself back you can see that you could have done things going into a potential double turn or deployment or whatever you can usually analyze it and be like yeah now a better example of this would be probably something closer to Slanesh's uh, at the epitome of when Slanesh was just her uh, epitome of Slanesh. At the epitome of 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 that book, right? That that sort of last iteration before like the six nerfs, the appropriate six nerfs in a new battle tome, right? At the epitome of that, that army would essentially line up on the table, charge you. Say, you don't get to activate your units until the end of combat, and now I'm going to go three times and kill everything on the table. This is getting very close to the the zero control over wind, wind stroke slash loss status. Because the only part you really got to control in that exchange was your deployment. And then from there, your shit was dead. And so this one usually, that one usually trips this one here. Now, the rebut was, we'll just shoot the heroes, and so on and so forth, but, like, it was in such a a state, it was so pushed. Yeah, deployment and army construction are really the only places you had had to, like, had control over that wind stroke or loss status, right? Deployment and army construction. Now, I posit that in our Cartesian doubt exercises, we need to bring things down back until we can't make any more decisions, right? Like, that's the whole thing when we get to that... that ba- We doubt our way all the way down. Um, now, I am a person who says gameplay begins at deployment and construction because I look at the game a little bit differently. I think the average player thinks gameplay begins at dice. Or I'd say most people think gameplay begins at deployment. That's when you're physically playing the game, right? You've, you've, you've actually engaged with the game. Um, so... Again, this is that 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 first sin, the 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 loss, of, the feel like you have no control over that. That's when we look at something as bad design, right? That's when we go. We need to go back to our first principles. We need to we need to reassess our our our, our premise. Okay, so this here that that zero control, and again, colloquially, I think you you hear people talk about agency. They feel like I I was making. I want my decisions to matter, right? That's that's that. That's what we're talking about. Um, the second one is, uh, so this one's a lot of fun, uh, unclear sensory feedback. This is the, what the fuck is going on, uh, sort of status of a game or a rule. Now, trying to think of a good example of a rule that's, that's just unclear sensory feedback where you're like reading it and you're rereading it and you're like, what the fuck is going on? If you say what the fuck is going on while you're reading a rule, Chances are you're in the unclear sensory feedback. Uh, we say sensory 
because rules often have a tactile uh, element to them, right? I roll a die. I check the number. I have to check a fucking chart. What the fuck is going on? Like, the, the sensory, the kinesthetics of playing the game, checking the rules, usually there's a breakdown somewhere between that interaction. You read the rule... You're getting a little confused. You've reread the rule. You, you're like, okay, I only have okay reading comprehension, but I've read this thing four times now. And the more I read it, the more confusing it gets. Um, where this really begins to... Uh, where this sin really begins to happen, though, is when you translate it over to now you have to do that thing with it. That's why we say sensory. It's not just unclear feedback. It's unclear in a, in a sense level. Like you, It goes into the actual play of the game. The rule is so badly written... That, like, when you go to actually do the thing, you're like, what the hell is going on? Um, I'm trying to think of a good example of this one. The closest thing I can think of right now is the LRL uh, knockback ability. KO, fly high, disengage. Perfect example. Perfect example. Um... It's just like you read it, you reread it, then you get to the table and you're just like it 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 starts to like people have like biases on how games should work. Again, we're very intuitive with games and stories. We've we have a long history of games and stories as as a culture, as as a human species. Um you may not be able to put this stuff to words. That's what that's why we're doing this. Um but like you feel it. And again, the first signifier is when you, if your brain reads something and you reread it and you reread it, and we've done our Cartesian doubt, we, we've done our first principles investigation, right? And you still are just like, what the fuck is going on? And then you go to like put it in the gameplay and it doesn't get any clearer. You have a, you have a sin number two. Now, I, I, this is where I want to say some mechanics can, can offend a little bit. Like, like, who doesn't mind a little gambling every now and then? Which is, you know, greed is technically a sin. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you go straight to hell. You gotta repent a little bit. You gotta, you know, you gotta balance it out, do some good. We can have rules that violate one of these. But, like, it's not a uh, an egregious version of it. And it makes up for it in some other way. I haven't talked about breaking the rules yet. So, ignore that I've said you can break these rules. But you have to have a really, 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 really good excuse to break the rules. So so we're going to just ignore what I just said there. For now, you can't break the rules. For now, we can't break the rules on how we write rules. Uh, when we get to the 300 level course, we'll, we'll talk about when you can break the rules. And it almost always is the rule of cool, by the way. In so many words. Um, so the next one, the next, the next two are, are unless you're LRL, right? Then they just went through and they're like, "What can we break every rule in the book, fundamentally, or Zinch? Well, this is why I hate Destiny Dice. I, I hate Destiny Dice because zero control, right? They just make the charge. They just cast the spell. Nothing I did and nothing they did, apart from use the, use the rule, stop that. Like, like that, that just... That bothers me at its inception. And then you go on, and you as you go down, like, they skip over unclear sensory feedback, because Destiny Dice, 
apart from some of the like stuff you're doing with when you're like you're building up your pool, um, they're not really unclear. Uh, they're pretty explicit. But then they go on to break rules three and four. Uh, so three and four, uh, they're two different rules, but I'm going to mention them at the same time. So the first one is complete lack of meaningful challenge. Too easy, right? It, the rule makes something too easy. Uh, the flip side then is impossibility of success. It's way too hard, right? So these, either of these can make for bad rules. And this is, again, why I hate fucking Destiny Dice. It just, it just goes... It, it breaks most of these sins. Um, so, uh, these ones are pretty... I think these are at their face value pretty pretty, pretty explanatory. Um, you know, so your, your, your complete lack of meaningful challenge. You know, this is where... You know, like, that time I played be, uh, my Depraved Drove. That first time I played Depraved Drove. And I was just like, I didn't even earn that win. Like, I didn't even feel like... You hear it expressed as, like, the army plays itself, which is often a misnomer. Again, Cartesian doubt. We always start from a sense of doubt. We have to strip down our biases first. That's that's super important in, analysis, in analyzing rules. Did you really... It, like, does it really play itself, right? Sybarite's actually... Uh, um, some of the, the practical setups in Slanesh... Don't actually violate this rules like the internet makes it think. It's actually kind of hard to like line up the Venn diagrams to get all their auras to work. If anything, you start to go to like to the other side where it's too finicky and granular, and fuck that. That's not good either. So, so like the but the when you play an army and you walk away and you're like, or you, or you the rule just like oh I, that that rule just like trivialized the thing. Right, you're 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 encroaching on third, and then the flip of that is four, is where like something just makes it an impossible scenario, right? Um, so that's three and four. Three and four are pretty self-explanatory. I don't think I need to spend too much time on those. Well, the fact that they can replenish their 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 destiny dice is where I think it starts to get really out of hand, because it's random enough. Remember, randomness can be a good th is randomness is a really good lever for some mechanics. You're allowed to be a little overpowered if you're random. Right? Because it's random. You're allowed to be a little overpowered if it's random. And so, like... But the fact that, like, Destiny Dice aren't really random. That's the problem with them. I mean, that's the thing that, for me, just, like, makes it kind of, like, past the... the that's where it, it goes into, like, the irredeemable land. As before, I'm just like, I'm annoyed that you don't have to roll dice. I mean, talking about Destiny Dice, uh, one of the reasons people don't like the LRL Sword Lords right now is... Because one of their things says don't roll dice. It's the number one complaint I've seen. I saw before I even saw the the uh, the rules written down. Before I even saw it, I saw people complaining that they're not rolling dice to attack. It feels in some ways it violates a pr an initial premise of the game. You roll dice for your attacks, right? Like, everyone thinks that. Now, like, you could mitigate that. What if it's a hero that doesn't roll dice for this one attack? Well, that feels a little bit better than a whole unit. Right? Like, there are ways... Again, there, we can break rules if we have good excuses. A core unit breaking a rule, like, so fundamental to what we believe the game to be, that doesn't feel good. We kind of hate that. Um, we, we may not even know why. Destiny dice feel the same way to me as, as that, like, not rolling the attack hit for the LRL sword lords feels for other people. Destiny, I, why aren't you rolling fucking dice? I have to roll dice. Like, you're allowed to, like, not roll dice sometimes 
if it's like a cool ability or like a really cool unit guy or something like that. I don't care that like once per game a like you can get an auto cast or an auto unbind, right? Like that's oh once per game. That's that's kind of exceptional. It's a resource at that point. I have to think about that. The fact that I can make it automatically happen, that I don't have to roll dice, is mitigated by the fact that I have to think about it. Right? That feels a lot better. Not having to roll your charge rolls for marauders. People hate that. People hate it. Not how rolling dice is like a third rail uh, in in Age of Sigmar design. That's It's a first principle. Like, people hate it when you don't roll dice for stuff they think you have to roll dice for. It's one of the first things I'll see people complain about. A third rail. That third rail, another way of putting it, is it violates first principles, right? When we distill it all the way down, we're left with, you should roll dice in a dice game, right? Like, that's... We doubted our way all the way down. You have to roll dice. Like, we believe that is part of what makes this game this game. In our, it's, in, it's in our first fir, first principles. All the way at the bottom. How would I change Destiny dice? Um, uh, One way I would change them is you don't get to replenish them with spells and other mechanics. Like, it's your, your, your nine dice or your nine dice or your nine dice. Now it's random and, like, and then they get used up over the course of the game. Now it's a decision, right? You you go back to you know an inversion of zero control over win loss uh, win stroke loss status. Well, if you have control over it, right? Like that's when you're making it good. Well, I have control over the destiny dice. Like I have more control, like because I have to plan them out. And sometimes I don't even get all the the dice. I think that's the way. That's one way of fixing it. The other way I thought of it is it's rerolls. Instead of fi- fixed numbers, it's rerolls. And like you get to break the rerolling one, uh, rerolling one time, you know, like one time rule with it once. So like if you have a, the other way I think of it is like, eh, that might be too much of a third rail is is re- the breaking their rule of one. But re- if it's going to be an infinite resource, then it's rerolls. Like, okay. Like, that feels... Like, you can reroll any dice instead of set the dice. The problem with Destiny dice is when the army is bad, like, who cares about Destiny dice? But when the army is good, it takes something good and it can push it into absurd. Now I can guarantee my charges. Now I can guarantee my steroids. Now I can guarantee this, that, and the other thing. Now I can fuck around with my goddamn battle shocks. So those those are, like... It, it, it makes it harder to balance the entire army with a Destiny dice mechanic as it is. So the, the, my two thoughts are either you, you, you cap it at 9, or if you don't cap it, then it's re, it's just uh, Destiny die is a reroll that you just always have. Tournament rerolls are fun. Like, tournament reroll dice are hype as hell. You sit there, like, I have a special gold die. Like, I set off to the side. When I'm like, when I get my tournament reroll, I'm like, ooh, that's the tournament reroll die, baby. Once per game each, because I donated to charity or I bought the like the TOA drink or whatever. I got my little stamp for my tournament reroll, baby. And I'm just like, oh, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. And then I roll it for the charge roll, right? And I roll the one anyway. Like, that's hype. That That's engaging. That's fun. So rerolls can be cool. Like, there's a time aspect to it, right? Like, we want to play our game cleanly. And usually stuff that just bloats the amount of time is frowned upon a little bit. But if it's hype, then I'm like, okay, cool. So, if you put the hype in and you, you take away the fact that it guarantees stuff, um, either or. And I would defer to a Zeech player and be like, which one of these two do you prefer as the nerf, right? Like, 
And and I say with the caveat of I'm nerfing these because then I get to make your like sort of regular numbers, like the sort of like baseline of how good your army is. I can make that go a little bit higher now because now I don't have to like write everything scared of your fucking destiny dice, taking something that's like kind of up to the line and then pushing it over the line. Now you can guarantee your charges with your pinks. Get fucked. You can teleport in my face and guarantee the charge? We're t- we're one, two, we've got two sins right there. I hate it. So uh Vor uh Vortexes. How goes tonight? Was painting your Kron Dynasty uh, a Setra tribute? The Setra uh Setrak Dynasty. <laughs> we do not serve. Like that's their 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 uh, prime directive. Yeah, awesome. Sounds cool. I uh if I ever go back to uh if I ever go back to forty K, it's it's Necrons. Hell, I might just buy an entire if I like if I like found a thousand dollars on the floor, I'd be like, okay. Well, I'd probably give it most to charity. But like if I'm like if they're like you can't actually give this to charity, you have to buy something with it, then it would just like I'll just buy a whole Necron army and just like have it and look at it and paint it and it'll look sweet. Necrons are sweet. Well, see, that's why I like the ra- you randomly roll. Because Zinch also attempts to screw over Zinch. It should be random. It shouldn't be set. Like, like I mean, that's... Like, Zinch's plans often screw over Zinch, too. I feel like the more random, it feels like a better... Because that's going back to our premise, right? We're serving our premise. Zinch tends to be random. Zinch is like, messing with Destiny can be good and it can be bad. That's where it being re-rolls instead of setting the dice... Feels awesome. So, so like that's where our premise helps us write better rules, does it not? Look at look at that! Like immediately, Mogwai man, like like you get this. So, um, so three and four complete lack of meaningful challenge. It's too easy, um. And impossibility of success. It's too hard, right? So these are, uh, uh, these are good, bad. Uh, these are these are sins, uh, which brings us to five. Y'all are gonna hate this one. Single viable gameplay strategy. So this one. This one we're usually looking at at an army level. Right, like the like the broadness of the game itself. It's going to be rare that a single rule does this, you know, in a way like some rules turn on certain stuff. Eels, right? Eels, one hundred percent. This is eels, right? This is why we don't like eels. Now, eels is a is a perfect example. This is why blight king spam, right? Ah. Uh, I think you're oversimplifying how awesome a, a burn deck is. <laughs> but there's a reason they haven't printed just Fireball again in how long. They already printed the best the best version of pay one, do three. Instantly. To the face, as we used to say. I'm sorry, I'm not analyzing uh, MTG decks here. For that, you're going to have to go watch Haywell. Uh, infect is uh well infect is actually getting into the zero control area because like once you're infected there's almost no ways to stop infect right 
It's just going to tick up until you're dead. It's a doom counter. People hate that. People hate infect. Um, it also goes against the third rail of life as a resource because they invented a different resource to kill you with. So like there, you're like there's a reason infect is hated in the community, and it has to do with some of the stuff we've talked about tonight. You know, talking about our premise and our and our first principles, and then talking about um, our zero control, our you know some of those stuff. Like they hate it. The illusion uh, that it's uh, it's too easy, right? <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. Um, so, uh, single viable gameplay strategy. Um, now, again, it's it's rare that a single rule. Uh, this is going to be probably usually more like a war scroll or um, allegiance abilities. Hagnar, right? Hagnar was it felt like it was offending people in that that sense. Again, we're going to Cartesian doubt ourselves. Is that the only viable way, right? Like we're going to doubt our way down and ask ourselves this question. It's very important. We always. We always keep that spicy when we're when we're analyzing rules. We got to have that spicy, like, you know. So, uh, Hagnar before was probably a lot more in line with this than it is now. Um, you know, is this army uh, Beast of Chaos? Beast of Chaos is actually uh, when Beast of Chaos were winning uh, it was Beastman Mark won Masters with them. Uh, Zangor enlightened on disc. That was the only viable way to play that army. It was a badly designed book, right? Like that's bad design. We 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 have like we don't like that. So that's so five single viable gameplay strategy. I wish I had a f fancy acronym for that one. No, there's nothing. So uh, that tends to be a uh, uh, just kind of a that that's one of the sins. Uh, so six, <laughs> I should probably pair seven and, uh, two and six from now on because, uh, uh, six is funny. Uh, so six is a total concept failure. This is the one. So before unclear sensory feedback, once we got done reading the thing, we go, what the fuck is going on? Right? Like the sensory aspect of that's really what's important to that. Uh, that's why I hammered it home early. Um, what the fuck is going on is what you think when, like, you're just like, huh? You're just you know, a state of confusion. Um, total concept failure is what the fuck were they thinking? It's not so much that you're confused as the, it just, it doesn't hit the threshold. You look at the thing and you go, what the fuck were they thinking? Total concept failure. The closest one I can think to for this one is probably the bad moon. Right off the top of my head. Like, what the fuck were they thinking? Uh, a, the only allegiance ability I get is a fucking random ass thing that may or may not work and or may or may not stick around. And there's no way to physically represent it in the table. Like, I just like, oh, there's a moon somewhere here. Like, what the fuck were they thinking? Total concept failure. Now, that's probably not as total a concept failure, but it is a concept failure. The, the concept's cool. Bad moon's cool. I like the idea of a cresting moon. It's pretty sweet. I like the idea that you're summoning the bad moon. But what I would do with the rule like that, if I was given the 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 bad moon as like as the producer of the game or as the as the as the head editor, if someone handed me that off their desk, I would look at that and go, "What the fuck were you thinking?" Like, 
Total concept failure. Yeah, not enough people are buying... Yeah, buy a healing balloon and float it over the table. It, like, mmm, mmm. Like, I just... It, this is... There are times when you look at you look at a rule, and again, we're gonna we're gonna do our first principles check first, and then we're gonna look at this and go, yeah, I don't think that gets across what you thought it got across. What the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> and so I, I use my little uh, my swearing <laughs> to distinguish this from unclear sensory feedback. Unclear sensory again, it, it it it's more confusion based than a failure of concept. So that's that's sin number uh, six. And seven, seven is included from a technical writing standpoint, okay? So this is a zero-existent scenario. It doesn't exist. So this happens usually in flavor text or fluff, where they will write something that references something that doesn't fucking exist. I have no idea what keyword you're referencing, because that keyword isn't a thing. Like, it doesn't exist. This is this is a bad rule. This is badly written. It can go further to be like a page is missing in their like manuscript, right? So, but it's something again we got to be aware of when we're looking at good rules, bad rules, and how to write good rules and bad rules, and how to assess good rules and bad rules. In terms of how we're going to run into this in Age of Sigmar, usually it's it's referencing something that doesn't exist, referencing a rule that doesn't exist, referencing a rule. That exists but doesn't work properly that way, or doesn't work that way, is usually this one as well. So, like, it references, like, deployments, or, 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 uh, usually this, this one almost always results in an FAQ because they just, the, the thing they've written doesn't exist. And now they have to go and write another rule. And what's really bad about this sin is that usually, it results in you having to write more rules. The goal should never be when you set out to write. This is a this is a first principles thing, just in general. Like this is a this is just a good ethos. We talked about premise a, lot, a ton. I should have talked about word soup and uh, and and uh, I should have talked about like word soup. I, I didn't. The, obviously, at the face value, when you're writing rules, you are trying to communicate to your players how they interact with the game. And in a sense, as a writer. You're teaching them how to interact with themselves. Yeah, that's a good one. Like, this is a zero-existence scenario. Doesn't exist. <laughs> um, like, uh, like why, why is this that way? Like, this rule doesn't need to exist. Um, so, the... The goal of rules is to kind of communicate how people should play your game. And in a sense, you are communicating your point of view as well. Every writer has a point of view. Every writer. Even in rules. Right? Um, you're trying to communicate how, how you should should interact with it. So this is going back to kind of like just, just in general writing rules and stuff. Um, this is... this You want rules when you're write, trying to communicate to people to be clear. You want people to be able to read your rules and go, okay, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, that's one of the most important things. Writing too many words is anathema to that. One of the first things I do when I write, uh, like homebrew, especially for like uh, an RPG, is the minute I've I like I just, my my sense trips if I've wrote wrote too long. I looked down and I went, "That's 
Oh, yeah, like, it's technically correct. Perfect grammar and syntax. I am so explicit in the situation I am defining that nobody could get this wrong. Guess what happens? Everyone gets it wrong because every extra fucking sentence you add is another part of their brain goes, and? Okay, huh. But what if every time you write an extra sentence, someone's brain does that? Furthermore, people tend to skim rules. They always forget a sentence. They like to forget sentences that benefit them, you'll find, whether it's intentional or not. Or they like to forget sentences that that stop the thing from being as good as they want it to be. And they omit the ones that, like, punish them, right? Like, so the more you write, the more you leave it open to sort of questioning it, even if you're as explicit and cons- as just... It is the perfect word soup. It is salted adequately. You got a little color in there. Like, it is the perfect word soup. The broth is full body. I just wrote three paragraphs of the best fucking word soup ever. Doesn't matter. You write too long, people are going to skim. They're going to check out. You're going to leave. You're always going to leave avenues of interpretation. Because everyone's brain just goes, and? Huh. Hmm. Like, they, their minds just start, like, engaging at different points of that body text. So, that's not in our seven... That might as well be our unofficial eighth one, is don't write word soup. Like, that might as well be the eighth one, is it's word soup. You wrote too much. Um, writers want to write, and oftentimes we've historically been paid by... We've been paid by the word, which is a mistake. It's why Charles Dickens sucks. Get at me, my old my old English lit peers from UW Eau Claire. You won't. <laughs> yeah, Bastillot on FAQ. Or you know where you're going. And uh, so a lot of times, like when you write, like your brain, this is, this is usually fixed by strong editing, but your brain will like already like have written a sentence for you. And you'll, like, skip it and write the next one. And since I'm taking this to an editor, they might not see that I skipped a sentence. They might not notice that. Because, like, I wrote such perfect word soup. It's delicious. And they just, they read through it and they go, yep, yep, A, B, C, D, yep, yep, yep. And they just, like, check it, boom, send it to the printer, right? And then, like, it gets to the printer, and I'm just sitting back in my chair. I wrote the best word soup ever. And then I hear people on the internet are confused. I'm like, how are they confused? It's the Christopher Lloyd reaction gift from, like, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right? Like, how the fuck are you... How the fuck are you confused? I wrote it perfect. And I, I pick it up, and I read it, and I reread it. And I read it once, and I go, uh-huh, yeah. Because my brain already put back in the sentence. I forgot. And then, like, I do a double check, and I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot a whole sentence. That changes everything now. <laughs> like, like at, at a read, it, it, it holds up to syntax and grammar edit. Like, it holds up to all those, like, stuff that the editor might be looking for. But it doesn't even meet my my initial, like, attempt. Um, that can be a zero-existence scenario, right? I'm missing a sentence in my word soup. Um, this is... I, I like That might as well be our bonus sin, is word soup. Don't do it. <laughs> like... Just, just like, um, 
the fr- again, I have like a spidey sense that trips when I've been doing it for too long. Like I'm, I'll look at back at it and I'll read it. And I'm like, if they and then they, while within, into the fire, like, ugh, disgusting. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Spare your spare your players. Spare yourself. Spare your printer. Um. So yeah, I mean that's those were my seven deadly sins and a a bonus sin, uh, for you. Uh, with the eighth one, word soup, but that maybe that's just more of a my particular like shake fist anger at it. Um, any any questions? Anything you want to double back on? Uh, I tried to give examples for them as I went along. Uh, Colorado AOS, Greg, helped me out there with some good examples. Um, the goal, like I said, is to have is to help people have language and and a way to interact and have discussions with other people. Yeah, if you have to take a breath while reading it, it's too long. Well, keep in mind, reading is meant to be done aloud. For the most, like the, the you know, uh, Socrates, we talked about Aristotle and, and Descartes, let's talk about Socrates for a minute. Socrates was said that the written word is destroying the oral tradition of storytelling. Socrates was anti-fiction writing. Like, like, it's this is hilarious to me for multiple reasons. The first one is that people criticizing new art forms go as far back and are as esteemed as fucking Socrates. When comic books came out, when film came out, when video games came out, and were trying to establish themselves as art, I don't know if anyone's really making the call that board everyone. Eh, no, see, board games trying to establish themselves as an art form, right? Like. Every time the new art thing comes out, there's always some fucking old fuddy-duddy who's like, this is destroying art. It is as old as Socrates. I would imagine, we don't have we don't have records of this, but there was a caveman, Ooga Booga or something like that, like, that like, when, when like, someone painted the first picture on a cave was like, Ooga booga! You're destroying the the you're destroying the tradition of throwing feces. Like there was just some person like throwing feces in art, and you've destroyed it. And look at what you've done. The think of the children. <laughs> uh, fun little trivia about that: we have found out that dick jokes go as far back as caveman days. <laughs> like, um. And uh, <laughs> and that like artists competing on the internet and trolling people goes all the way back to caveman days too because uh, there would be mini games where they would try to see who could draw a doodle the highest on the cave wall. It wasn't like it was just to like one up each other and stuff like that. So measuring epine uh, via text and print and emojis, cavemans were doing it. So take some solace in knowing that as much as things change, some things stay the same, right? Um, but yeah, art, um, you know, Socrates criti- criticized the written language. Like, criticized, like, writing stories down because, like, the notion that, like, stories and language are living and that what by, like, putting it down you somehow, like, galvanize it and you you, you, you lock it into place and it kind of ruins, ruins that art, right? Um so yeah, I, I'm uh, obviously I'm obviously team writing. Uh, get fucked, Socrates. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, 
Uh, only on Rantcast. <laughs> Get fucked, Socrates. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, just to, to kind of recap... Um, so I, I want people to have like a, a, a language, just something to be more aware of when you go out and you start to analyze rules. Um, people are pretty intuitive. You usually pick up on when a rule's rubbing you the wrong way. And I want you to work through your Cartesian doubt, work towards your first principles, and see, get strip that rule down. And then once you're down there, once you're down there, then I want you to, to consider our seven deadly sins. And plus our bonus sin of fuck word soup. Um, so I want you, I, I, that's, that's the goal. That's it. Uh, checking. I really don't have anything else. We only had one caller tonight, so I'm a little disappointed. Uh, but I mean, checking itself has been popping off. So, um, you know, that's changing the format too much. <laughs> oh, the, 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 the joys of the internet. So. Uh, any final questions? Any 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 uh, any digital soapbox moments from you, chat gang? Anything you'd like to get off your chest, or anything you want me to riff on and get off of my chest? Um, I feel like we've had a pretty great show. Uh, there is a chat delay, so I'll let you you catch up with with my words. Oh oh, we've got a caller. Welcome, caller. This is uh, AOS Rantcast. You're live on the air. Uh, hi. Is this uh, the OnlyFans uh, hotline for Mr. Mephisto? Um, uh, I mean, it can be. <laughs> so I, I, I subscribed recently, and you promised me seven photos of uh, all positioning the seven deadly sins. I'm wondering if that's um, is that coming to me via my app, or is that through the, the email? You know what? I I can do this for you. I can I can get these. To you. I'm sorry about this mistake in your subscription. Uh, I will get right on fixing it. And um, per our uh, our terms of service, I can't tell you how you're going to come, uh, how they're going to come. Sorry. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I, I, was, I actually have no question. I was throwing you a bone because only one person called in, but um... <laughs> how's it going, Coach? You're on next I, week. Well, why are you? Why are you here now? <laughs> because because you were pulling out your little violin. You're talking about your seven deadly sins. Only one person actually called you up. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't have you. I couldn't have you end the show with only one person calling in. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. I do. I do. Um... Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you're, actually, uh, while you're here, uh, Coach is going to be on next week, Friday. Uh, Friday for us, Saturday for, for you in the Upside Down. And uh, we're going to talk about AOS Financial, whatever the hell that means. Uh, I, I've, got, uh, I've got my calculator. I've, uh, I've got my, like, my suit and tie. I'm ready to go with the uh, accountancy. <laughs> good. So good. Here's, a question. here's a question for you. I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll make up a question. All right. So we know what Broken Realms uh, Techless is bringing. We know the we know the different armies, and there's been leaks today. But what do you think Bellacore is going to look like? We know that's the next story, and we know there'll be some things tied up with Bellacore, and maybe the next one's destruction or whatever it might be. 
what do you think the cities or the the allegiances or what are some of the things you think are going to come with Broker Realms Bellacor? So we've gotten a cities thing. This is two for two now. All right, we got a cities thing in both Morathi and Teclas. So I feel it's a fair bet. I give it a 50-50, right? I, I give it better than 50-50 odds that we're getting every Broken Realms is going to feature some city stuff. Even Bro- even though this one is an, a chaos one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because they're fighting somebody. It might be a something. I mean, maybe they actually destroy a city and like now you don't get those rules anymore. I don't know. It's... Because the easy bet would be like we get a new like uh, warband or or some sort of like something chaosy, right? Like you've got your god marks and stuff like that. I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion we do get something like a lurid haze or you know, like I think we're gonna get some modifiers like that. To is everything from Teclas out? Because we see Nurgle for 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 Teclas. Well, we. Well, we know, we know we know Broken Realms Teclas has is it Nurgle? It mm-hmm. has Siege of Sigmar. It yeah. has OBR, and it has Feck. So we haven't seen Zeech in a little bit, have we? Yeah, we, nor have we seen Corn. Um, so, so I guess you know because Marathi's story was about you know uh, a bit of a backhand to Sigmar and took over Anvil Guard and you know become a goddess. Mm-hmm. We've obviously got Teclas doing something, and obviously <laughs> Bellacor is going to do. Well, we don't we don't quite know what Teclas is going to do, other than being useful and um and not be Tyrion. Mm-hmm. But like, what is Bellacor doing in response to all this? And what's the what's the story and the people around him that the narrative is going to push forward? And like, ignore cities for a second. Like, who else comes to the party? Is it is it Corn? Is it Beast of Chaos? Is that why we have um? That stormcast rule that has uh, that stormcast model that's going to do buffs against beasts of chaos. Are we about to enter beasts of chaos meta? That's going five and zero. Oh? Yeah. See, my hope is Bellacor is tied to BOC. That I mean, that my my hope of hopes is is I know Bellacor is like slaves to darkness right now, but I mean, my perception from you know a beasts of chaos sort of vacation home player, you know, one of my one of my favorite armies in the game, um, in that I own like close to two hundred gore. Uh, and so many Beasts of Chaos models. Um, I think, like, it's my dream. It's my wish list. When when Slaves of Darkness came out, I remember gloating on my own show even that, like, finally Beasts of Chaos got a buff because I had better ally units. <laughs> like, mm. like, the War Llama and Bellacor was, like, the number one, my number one ally. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to run Bellacor. You know, like, that was... I was making Phantasmagoria lists, joking about Bellagor, Bellacor being in them back in the day. Well, fun, fun, well, funnily, I was meant to go to a tournament. When I went to a tournament, the uh, the measured gaming tournament, my very first opponent was going to be a Beast of Chaos with Bellacor. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, it was a redraw, and I played 160 Chain Rafts. But mm-hmm. um, that was that was scaring me. Like I played Beast of Chaos, and I'm like, oh man, they're all right. Um, but with Bellacor, I'm like, okay, there's something in this. Um, mm-hmm. And you can only assume he's going up more than 400 points. Like, he's going to be outside of ally pool. So. Yeah, he's going to be Gotrick, right? M- well, Gotrick point cost. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that you get the Gotrick mercenary type as well. Like, you bring him in chaos and he's your right. only... What, he's what your if, only, like, ally. What if he goes to, like... Uh, he goes to, uh, you know, abo- out of ally ship points, but has a caveat that says... Beast of Chaos can always take it. Not the whole Chaos Grand Alliance, 
but beasts can. You know, nice mm. little nod to them. I would like to see narrative-wise Bellacor actually bloody Archeon's nose. I want to see... Bellacor is like the one they throw in when they need a named character to lose a battle to make it seem impressive. I talked about on the last the last show I did, I, I talked about like the monster heel who's usually there to like, you know, like Big Show. Big Show yeah. is always horribly booked because they want just the hugest, most badass dude to go and lose to some new talent that they're pushing to make them look good. But the thing is, is he only ever shows up to lose to the new talent to make them look good. And so like his sort of con- like character continuity is like he loses a lot and like he doesn't look that impressive anymore and that's Bellacor. Bellacor is poorly booked he's supposed to be the first prince he's supposed to be all these like awesome he's supposed to make you afraid of him and on the table like I actually really like the even the old sculpt I love the old rules I love that he tonight use and points at somebody and they kind of suck like I, I like Bellacor. I really do kind of through and through um but narrative wise he tends to just show up to like lose in in uh, Wrath of the Everchosen, he showed up with Archeon and did something, but it was Archeon's win, right? So I want him to strike out on his own. I want him to do something awesome, and I hope it's a little bit of like, uh, like I hope we finally get the thing that I've always wanted, which is a, a second main named thing in Chaos that's like challenging Archeon for the throne. I so you're a, you're you're a wrestling man, and I just had this thought. Mm-hmm. Um, Corn and Slanesh don't like each other. Nurgle and Zench don't like each other. Right. I wonder if we're about to see a Survivor series where we're about to see Archeon with two, and we see Bellacor with two. Oh, there's be... a bit of civil war going on, right? Like that would be metal. Yeah. You know, maybe Bellacor, but maybe Bellacor boosts up Corn. And we've already got Slanish in the meta. We've already got Zench in the meta. Is there some type of Archeons with two of them? And then, yeah, um, uh, Bellacor brings up two. Yeah. yeah and, and like, uh, you know, Archeon in the current story was has been looking for Slanesh. That's been, like, the whole shtick. You know, that's got to, you know, one of the Chaos Gods doesn't want Slanesh found. They like it better. I mean, that could drive a rift in Chaos, right? And that mm. could be Bellacor being like, yo... I like this. I like this angle. And I want Beast of Chaos to get a buff. I think we're going to see a Beast of Chaos buff. Um, my thing is, I don't think Kragnos... Um, my first hope was like, hey, this is going to be Beast of Chaos. Now I'm thinking it's... I think it's Destruction. I think Kragnos is Destruction. Like, that's my hope. It's a new Destruction thing. And I've even said that, like, the Centaur pictured... I'm not even convinced that the Centaur pictured is necessarily Kragnos. They could be pulling a Cataclysm video thing. What's that? Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I don't think so. I think that that picture is a like a. It's just hey, look at the city. Somebody, yeah, like like you know, look look what's been done to my city. I've come back from a raid or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. you know my city is in ruins. Right in uh like in the Catacross videos in the in, when the Osiric Bone Reapers were coming out, you heard Catacross talking, but the stuff we saw was like Vok Mordian, and we we saw all this stuff. We didn't know it was Catacross talking until the third video. Right, Catacross, the like the Mortark or whatever. We didn't know who was talking. Well, it was like a Linda as well, right? A Linda. Everyone thought it was Isabella von Karstein coming back, and mm-hmm. you know they ran with that for ages. Yeah. But if if the fourth book is going to be destruction, you and you know, Order's gotten a lot of love. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if this is going to be the civil war for chaos and. I think chaos fighting themselves would be at least sweet for me. Oh, I I I like. I would like to see it too. Like, it, 
this is called the Age of Sigmar, right? We already had the Age of Chaos. Like, at the end of the day, the game they can't turn this into 40k where it's grim dark and everyone's going to die and everyone's going to lose. Blah, blah, blah. That's not the narrative I want from Age of Sigmar. I want Age of Sigmar to be the slow grind back to civilization. And so, like, Chaos uh, Order has had some setbacks lately. Silnash is about to bust free, man. If you look at, like, what the armies are getting. Like, yeah, they keep getting armies because Order and Chaos always get armies. But, like, if you look in terms of the narrative, like, Order hasn't really had a whole bunch of Ws. They didn't stop Nagash. They aren't going to stop Silnash from getting out. Like, if you look at the big campaign story plots, um, Order's kind of been losing, you know? They've been losing ground. And now, Teclis is about to go march on Shyish at basically the worst time he could decide to do it. Because Slanesh is going to bust out. And, like, you're you're over here going to punish Nagash uh, for the, I guess, the Necroquake. Which, first of all, uh, that was sweet because, do you know, the Necroquake made, like, made, like, awesome endless spells across the realms and, like, really... From a narrative stance, the Necroquake really helped shape uh, Age of Sigmar as a setting to be something more than, like, generic and, like, really... There was a lot of empty canvas before. I feel like we got a lot of canvas filled in with the Necroquake. Why is this mythic fantasy setting different from other mythic fantasy settings? They told me why with the Necroquake, right? And so Teclis... Come on, man. You made an entire species of elf and abandoned it. Do you Are you really the main judgment of who's committed crimes against uh, elf manatee out there? Get out of here. Get out of here. I hope he gets slapped down so hard. I mean, he's not. It's called Mortal Realms Techless, so he's the feature character. But my hope is that he gets, pum- that he gets pummeled. Yeah, hopefully in the th- at least the third book. Um... You know, he's he's been the running joke for since Warhammer Fantasy Battles. He was the right. he was the the Joker. Yeah, I don't know. I just I think for me, uh, you know, we're in the age of chaos right now. Chaos dominates the tables. There's a lot of stuff going on with chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been reading a lot of like Warhammer Fantasy lore, just trying to dig in for my own armies on parade. And you always hear about the chaos in fighting. The gods are always striving for power. Even Skaven, you know, Skaven has has ascended. The Great Horn Rat has ascended to the Chaos Parthion, and they're mad. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but we but we don't quite see it coming about. So for yeah. me, I'd love to see Supercharged Chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm for it. That, that, that was my question. I just wanted to know what your thoughts. And maybe before I go, what who who comes with the party? So you know, every every book has had, you know, a couple of other books, uh, other armies around it. Mm-hmm. Who who else is going to be in Bro- who's who's getting a buff or who's getting some some love in Broken Realms Bellacor? Uh, Beast of Chaos, they're getting a buff. I I I believe you know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some like Skaven stuff. Like, what if Bellacor actually ends up like partying with Skaven and Beast of Chaos? Huh? That'd be pretty cool. Ooh. That could be that'd be pretty intriguing. Um. So I, I'd like to see some, like, maybe Skaven's actually featured in there. Uh, I think you're going to get one of the other four Chaos Gods. You're either going to get Korn or Zinch, because neither of them have showed up in these previous two. And whichever one you don't get is going to be in Broken Realms, Kragnos. So you, you might get Korn with Bellacor, and then you'll get Zinch with Kragnos, or, or vice versa, right? Um, so I think that's going to happen. Um, you'll get some Order stuff, because they've gotten stuff every single time. Maybe we see some some like 
more Night Haunt. It's possible that the Broken Realms Techless boxes actually sort of uh, foreshadow some stuff for uh, Bellacore, right? Well, we've got that new Night Haunt model that got previewed right. a few weeks ago. Right, so that might be coming with um, with Bellacore, so we might see Night Haunt. They already alluded to Olander like, getting ready to do some shit, and we know that Manfred's about to do something. So... I mean, it's it's going to be cool. Is there going to be a Broken Realms after Kragnos? I mean, that's the million-dollar question. I think that they could keep Broken Realms going. Like, like 3-0 can come out, and then we can have Broken Realms continue. I think they learned from Psychic Awakening, personally. Um, I think they're going to be a little bit more mindful going forward. That's my hope, anyway. If if I'm wrong, I uh, I will be super upset, and you'll hear you'll be the first to hear about it, chat gang. Um... Uh, but like, if, if, I like the idea of the evolving narrative. I thought Malign Portents, which is you know the thing that precursored 2.0, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I was really into the idea that like, yeah, maybe the uh, the execution wasn't awesome, where like you were supposed to go to your GW and it affected stuff. But like, just the idea that like they were releasing gameplay stuff that changed the game. Like you got your little Malign Portents pack of like rules to play with, and and then well, at the end, it was the first time. It was the first time it introduced command points mm-hmm. that. Because at the time, for, for anyone who is, is new to Sigma, command points, you, you, you got one command ability, and it mm-hmm. used to be only through your general. So no one else's command ability could be used, and yeah. Malign Portents brought that in. I, I always think that we just didn't spend enough time in Portents. I think we could have sat in the space a little longer, because right. it seemed like it was, it was over so quickly, and then we're into Soul Wars. Yeah, you wanted, you wanted like that one one full year of ca- uh, of like of like calendar events, you know? Like we were, we we barely got to scratch the surface. It was such a cool rollout too, because you had the like, you had the portents all coming out, like all the harbingers, right? And I mean that was so yeah. cool. It, you got new models. Yeah. That's my hope is that Broken Realms doesn't make that mistake, and Broken Realms sticks around through the transition, so that we get to live with that narrative and that transition a little bit, and then they can lock it down because we get you know three years with an addition effectively. That use this as a bridge and 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 keep extending that. I think that's that's a really good idea. the The fact that your fan base is always going to have a promise of potential of something new and revitalization to to units that only does good for the company and the game and the health and the feeling that the game is healthy and 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 that it's not stagnating. And the 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 broken realms stuff is a really great foil for. Quite frankly, just getting us more content, more r- routinely, and and keeping things moving, as opposed to waiting, you know, wait for GHB, wait for Winterfack, wait for GHB. Well, wait. it gets, and you've only got to, you've only got to see the the short stories that are delivered every fortnight that mm-hmm. gets people talking. Short stories about Manfred, short stories about whatever it might be, and you know, I know you were talking earlier about being a writer and being a you know in the game design um, space. Mm-hmm. But the opportunity for fan fiction and people to contribute short stories mm-hmm. um, to scale to scale the lore and to to talk about things that probably aren't getting the full Black Library book, but there are stories to be told. And um, I, I love and, and this would drive model sales. People would be excited to 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 build their mm-hmm. their narrative hero or whatever it is. Right. Right. No, I'm 100% with you. And uh, Coach, I'm going to say this just for you. I read the Manfred story on stream on Sunday night, I think it was. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, sorry, Doug, 2 plus tough. Uh, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna release a narrative video. Get wrecked. No, I can never compete with Doug. Do it. Man's the Do best. It. No, Do I'm it. I'm I'm gonna release the uh the video of me uh, of me reading it. I might even edit it and put some cool graphics on it to really zhuzh it up. Uh, but I will say after having read that Manfred story, two things: the greatest crime Manfred ever committed was not being Vlad, and uh, for that I may never forgive him. But after reading him, I actually like after reading that short story, I liked him a little bit more. I actually I mean, looking, thoroughly I'm, enjoyed I'm, I'm, I'm his look, arrogance. I'm look, I'm looking at Manfred right now. He won me best death before I retired the death, my, my legions of night army. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually pretty excited, man. Actually, one more, one more question. I yeah. will drop off because this is the longest question known to man is, um, skeletons. Yes. Now the new skeleton surprised me. I was surprised. I look zombies. I get it. Bats. Mm -hmm. I get it. But skeletons, that, that, that release has thrown me off. I was surprised to see them update the skeletons because these skeletons are from 7th edition. Mm -hmm. I think they're still they're, they're good. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the new skeletons? And will you be rushing to replace your yes. existing skellies with new skellies? Uh, I'm, I mean, I, uh, so I'm going to... I, I'm with you. I actually like the sort of like, you know, Jason and the Argonauts, uh, Army, of, uh, Army of Darkness old skeletons like the naked skeletons i think is like the vernacular where we've we as a death community have accepted um so i i like the um i like the i like those skeletons but, and i'm really surprised that skeleton warriors got updated in this manner because they have so much personality and equipment now like they, they're encroaching on graveguard in terms of like I was thinking that was I was thinking there were going to be new grave guards right. to separate the two. Right. Like I, I would have expected die wolves to get updated because I'm using Fenrisian wolves. Like I've got 25 Fenrisian wolves. Yeah, the hay will take two hundred thousand Fenrisian wolves are now crying. They're like they're now howling as they know they're all about to be retired for proper direwolf sculpts. Right. The f the first thing to be well, replaced in my army uh, will be that. But it was the skeletons that surprised me. Like I, I didn't see that one coming, and um, I don't know if I will update my skellies. I like, I, I like the old. So, so here, let me help you with this, and I'm gonna, you know, because when you get into the content creation business, entertainment in general, you're always selling something for somebody else. That's that's what it means to be in entertainment, um, whether you like it or not. So make your peace with it. Shill and shill harder. Uh, so what you should do is you should buy a box or two anyway and mix them in with your skeletons. That way you have a progression of decay through the units. The ones that are naked skeletons are clearly the ones that have been resurrected the most and have been in the most battles. They've been beaten up and their armor's just fallen off. The ones that have the armor are the newer resurrected skeletons. And so you get that really cool sort of evolving visual through your army that really makes it look like it's a unliving, unbreathing, undead army that like kind of spans, you know countless battles and you know this isn't new yeah, yeah. so i i think you uh i think you buy a few boxes and you you mix them in you don't completely uh, replace them all you i would yeah i, I would have if anything if I, if I was gonna update the skellies i would have expected them to, to to dip into the dogs of war hmm. and bring bring me some non-human skellies give me some seraphon well, give me these some ones orcs, are these ones are taller they're elves yeah but they're <laughs> But like, give me, give me, like, you, yeah, you've I, probably seen the Dogs of War Curse Legion, right? Yeah. I loved that. I loved having a dwarf skelly in there. I loved having um, a, a, a Saurus guard um, in there. Like, right. This like, is give me some diversity. This is where zombies have the advantage because, like, 
Um, I'm sorry. Um, like zombies, you can like take another model and like you know cut it up a little bit and green stuff mm. here and and paint it all fetid and corpse like. Um, zombies have an advantage in that respect. With skeletons, like you're staring at the bare bones, so you kind of need that that aesthetic, right, to to do some heavy mm. lifting. Um, we got Skaven ghosts, and I was so pleased with that. And I'm like, true. is this a new era? Do I finally have that like Neapolitan? undead that I want like the stories talk about beast claw raiders resurrected right like like mm. show me the ogre skeleton now curse city did show me ogre zombies and I was pleased about like I'm super pleased with that but like yeah I I think where's this is the, where they where's take the, where's the zombie where's the zombie more crusher where's the zombie yes. uh yes. stonehorn yes. where's the zombie star drake like give me give me the zombie give me everything give me a zombie mega gargan where is my zombie mega gargan yeah yeah yeah, give me all the zombies. Um, but but to your point, I would love to see they could take a page out of forty K here where they sell their little uh like their little kits for their Marines, you know? To mm. you could print money if you just sold me little little blisters of different types of skeletons. Right? You could it would print money. You just oh, here's the like ogre ogre kit, you know, like here's the well, maybe not ogres because they'd be a different size, but you could be like, here's the elves and here's the dwarves, and you know, you could do stuff like that. You know, I'd love to see the occasional like demon in there too, because the stories, like Nagash resurrects a bloodletter. <laughs> like, show me some of that cool stuff, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a hundred percent with you. Um, all right, that was the longest question known to man. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for a work meeting. But thank you for answering my questions, and I look forward to my seven pieces of OnlyFans content returned to me. Yeah, no, I got you. I got you. I uh, I got you covered. Awesome. I will. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll come next Thursday, next Friday. All right. Take care. We'll see you next week, buddy. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Hmm. All right. That was uh, unexpected and pretty fantastic. Uh, this is my least favorite castle bit was easily the best part. <laughs> the Manfred story was, uh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Um, like I said, I read it. I'll, I'm going to go ahead and release that video. I, I was, I had one of two options tonight. Either work on that video and edit it and get it up, uh, when, when Tyler, um, you know, had some family stuff come up, um, or try to like re-envision what I was going to do tonight. I'm happy I plowed through and, and, and did the show, um, but I'm going to get that that video. We'll see how lazy or how motivated I am. Um, I I like to. St I've been getting better at editing, so I'll probably try to edit something together and get that up. Um, and then yeah, so so uh, I liked the Manfred th Manfred story. It it gave me a new. It gave me an appreciation for the character that other stories haven't. Like the ha the absolute bravado and swagger, and like the nonchalance. Like, where he just didn't care. I really enjoyed that. Like, I, I really enjoyed the... Yeah, I read the whole thing. Um, I really enjoyed that. Like, it really... Like, that's what I needed from Manfred. I needed to see that, like... Like, he's not a sniveling coward. He just doesn't care. Because he so much seems like a sniveling coward. But, uh... And cowardice is, like, my least favorite personality trait in 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 characters and stories i hate cowards so uh 
Like it, like I'm like, oh, okay. Like he's not a coward. Like he's actually like pretty, like super arrogant and has all this bravado, and it's not worth his time to do this and that. Like it goes to the Sigvald thing. It goes to the Nagash thing. I really enjoy arrogant villains. I don't. Maybe it has. Maybe it has some. Maybe it says something about me. I don't know. Liked both. Yeah. I'm. I gotta go back and read more of them. Maybe I'll just read the Broken Realm series to like for my. my I I got it. This is how I solve the algorithm, and I get more. I get more likes. I get more. I get more eyeballs. Uh, I I read. I read lore. So, um. Any final any final thoughts, anybody? Uh, any 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 last questions before we get out of here? Oh, hang on. We got another caller on the uh, on the screener here. Hello, welcome to Rantcast. You're live with Mr. Mephisto. Oh, hey there. Hey there. This is uh, this is uh, Travis, Vampire King. <laughs> where are you calling for? Where are you calling from, Vampire King? Oh, you, uh, you know, just to ship out at sea. Oh, there you go. Connection's right kind of bad. Right on. Uh, what's your question uh, for for the for the show? Uh, so I know we we're talking about uh, Manfred and other things like that. Uh, do you think? Do you think that uh, something's? What do you think's going to happen with uh, like Manfred and Neferata? Do you think that because you know, they we know that they've you know are on some side mission right now with uh, with Broken Realms Techless is is that what's going to release you know the Soulblight Grave Lords or are we getting like a third you know vampire new Mortark? I see. I don't. I kind of hope that they don't do a new Mortark um, this time. Um, they can save a, like they down the line. We have so many Mortarks. We just Nagash just broke the glass for two new Mortarks, right? And we already right. don't really have a place for all of our Mortarks because Archon is kind of like lost in in a weird sort of between land of kind of being able to do some some Ossiarch Bone Reaper stuff. Um, like part of me would love, in general, I just round towards I want new Age of Sigmar characters so much. I want a new Mortark that's a new character, but. Honestly, it feels like Neferata has one of the... She has one of the better, like, Black ri Library series. And they haven't really, like, shown me in the game. And Manfred's shown me he's got potential. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on characteristic here. I want them to... I want them to really be fleshed out and really kind of bring it in this book. We can get a, a Soulblight Gravelords 2.0 down the line. Or we can get a, a second half release like they did with LRL where we get a new Mortark. Um, I think that whatever this crazy mission is, is like, maybe they're going out and they're actually like uniting the bloodlines, you know, clans type thing. Maybe we yeah. get a new Mortark. We don't need necessarily a new Mortark if we just got like a new named awesome character on a dragon, right? Right. Well, I mean, so we know that, that they, there's the Rat Prince and the, the Malady, uh, yeah. that are two. Uh, Annika, so what if we yeah. get, yeah, Annika, what if we get, uh, you know, more of their court? Or like right. courts, uh, right? Flesh out. So maybe not more Tarks, but we get you know the the tier two generals for them, yeah, uh, and get more of those characters. Yeah, like the sort of like the the viceroys of all of them, yeah. right? Like I that's that's what I like. That's what I want to see. I want to see like you know four sub allegiances, and uh, we've seen kind of two of them, right? Like we've we've got the rats, we've got the mosquito slash moth that is uh, that's Annika. Uh, you kind of have wolves with uh, with radical. The double wolf. Uh, so you've got like you've kind of got wolves there. Uh, I think we're kind of missing 
So we got insects, we've got rats, we've got canine. Those are like kind of the, the main ones. And then you got mist. There's got to be a quart of mist in there, right? Give right. me that fourth. Give me like four bloodlines. Uh, dragon. Fourth bloodline's probably a dragon too. Give me the, you know, give me the blood dragon. The classical, what became blood knights. We had the blood dragon bloodline. Give me something like that. Dracula. Dragon. Like that's literally what Dracula, like that was, you know, the Dracula mythology was one of the most classical understood ones. Son of the Dragon was his like moniker. Give right. me like the dragon bloodline too. But in that like Eastern creepy European their version of the dragon not our like awesome built up the when they talked about son of the dragon they basically meant son of the fucking devil yeah i went like the heads on spikes yeah and, like and, give me the, everything yeah give me that like crazy over the top um nephi's big on cats yeah like a little like a a, a uh you know cats are the gatekeeper to the undead realm sort of thing you could you, there's so much stuff to do with it i want at least four sub allegiances i want them all to have the courts right Wolf bat. I absolutely agree. Wolf bat, uh, insect, and uh, and uh, and uh, dragon. Right. There's four easy ones to print, and then we could go with like the esoteric ones too later on, like Court of the Mist, Court of the Moon. We can do some really cool stuff where like you're, you've got those four sub allegiances. Make sure all of those models that are like the sort of leaders of or the main ones representing them are adequately awesome. But give me like stories like with Olander. Olander's model like kind of feels bad on the table. But I have no doubt why Olander is the is the Mortark of 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 the Night Haunt when you read her right. stories. She dusted the freaking Celestine Prime. Yeah, just done and dusted. Just yeah, gone. like just 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 ruined. And the like all these like named Zinchian characters and stuff like that when they stormed the All Points just ruined them. And I'm like, oh yeah, like do that with these court of the like have them you know kill a bloodthirster that's the 40k thing where like just someone kills a bloodthirster to show their right. badasses do the the equivalent story-wise with these these characters you like the rules yeah. by necessity must often be balanced and you know you got to play my 2000 points versus you your 2000 points so we're taking a little bit of a liberty with how cool they could be rules wise like or not liberty we're 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 hamstrung from how cool they can be rules wise, but like because they're so cool. But like narrative wise, like just make them awesome. Yeah. I don't care if there's like a, a a disconnect there. I I don't like. I just I don't. I I accept that the game is the game and that the stories are actually the real. Like that they're the the uh, that's the reality. Yeah. In a weird absolutely. Like, like, well, go ahead. And and I just can't wait to read it from like the the cuz the battle tomes are all propaganda propaganda, right? I can't wait to I want it to be complete propaganda for them regardless of what the rules are, right? Yes. Yes. That's the best way to write battle tomes too is like just it's propaganda. They're the coolest thing like ever um yeah, like I yeah, just just make them as cool as I think they should be. It, I would take it as a kindness if the models are also you know, give me an excuse. I want to play these cool models. Uh, but, like, just make them as awesome as... Like, have them actually ruin Teclis's plans. You know, like, just have them just... Like, Teclis shows up being a, 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 a elf... Human elf, I'm here to elf stuff up. And then they're like, actually, you know what's cooler than elves? Fucking vampires. Edgelord right, to the max. All the haughtiness and arrogance. But, like, we fucking eat you. Rather than just, like, I don't know, prattle on about our superiority. We also prattle on about our superiority, but then we eat you. And that somehow yeah. makes it cooler for me. And we just drink your blood. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, as much as I'd love for, you know, obviously vampires and something like that, I, I, I don't think that's coming. I do think it'd be cool if we got like a, a Broken Realms, uh, or not Broken Realms, a uh, White Dwarf, like Battalion or something that I, would have like a, a spice. I want the Wraith, like I really wanted the Wraith fleet to be I, like I a sub-allegiance. I, my hope of hope hopes was like, yeah, I got my high gothic vampires that I want that are turned to AOSE. You know, they they really am I James Workshop? I don't know. I, like when I when I'm having my insomnia. Well, if we, fits, if we get the Wraith fleet, we we know that you are. It we, is confirmed. <laughs> confirmed. You are James Workshop. I'm James Workshop. I I wanted the, I wanted the Wraith fleet like as a rep, like you know that's where again we go into our esoteric other sub allegiances. Mm-hmm. We get our four you right. know folklore ones and then we get something like the, of the moon or mist and then we get like the wraith fleet which wraith fleet fits the mist for me their whole thing is they show up wreathed in myths and ghosts yep yep that like, would work and, that, it's, and it's been mentioned in you know other battle yeah, films yep so yeah so the wraith fleet shows up that's my mist that i want right um so they show up they have a one and four ability with night haunt so like they can one and four awesome. night haunt yep and and then like it's then you get like you get We've got our sweet rat prince. We've got we've got uh we've got Annika, Lady Annika. Um, you could have that vampire captain model, right? Mm-hmm. And then like just a couple nods, just a couple nods that like inspire people to con- to convert a little bit more or whatever. Like yeah, I'm gonna run my skeletons, but I'm gonna now I'm gonna maybe run the naked skeletons and like green stuff hats on them, right? Like right. when I my naked skeletons have uh, rice hats, you know, like that's awesome. Um, like. Just give me an excuse, right? Just give me an excuse. Yeah. It's you pretty much put it on my tombstone when it comes to how I feel about this game. <laughs> um, let's see. We already know that Manfred and his pet can destroy what appears to be a great demon of Nurgle. Yeah, yeah. And it was freak. Oh, spoilers! It was so, that was so good. <laughs> it was a good yeah, story. Yeah, I mean, so say, so say you have you go from from Teclis to, to Bellacor, Maybe uh, you know they actually punch you know somebody in the mouth. Whether it's they show up in and fight the orcs, or they punch you know Order or something like that in the mouth. Bellacor actually does something cool. And then you have uh, you know Soulblight uh, Grave Lords that actually punch Nurgle in the face, something like that. In in my dream of dreams, we get. Like I want a Broken Realms Olander, you know. If I oh, had that'd like be good. Yeah. people were like, "Do you want Broken Realms Nagash?" I'm like, "No, just fix Nagash's War Scroll and Broken Realms Techless, and we'll call it even." Like I don't, you know, I don't need, or yeah. maybe that's not a possibility now because everyone's seen the teasers. But um, like, I don't need. He doesn't need a whole campaign unto himself. The whole second edition was like basically the Nagash show. I don't need. I'm okay with him, you know, exit stage left and like moving off he's my favorite character but like i don't want him saturating everything because like again for me support characters get they're cool because like you know they they get to be cool if you're the main character then you have like all these expectations you out where you're welcome you have to drive the narrative too long you can't just go and do something sweet the whole time yeah i'd love to see nagash go back to you know like puppet master mode well he's you know pulling strings and and... he's got other machinations like yeah like we just saw the fruition of like one like hundred thousand year old plan we just saw skeletons carried a grain of sand from the far reaches of the realm in in secret (laughs) 
It, they still have one of the eight points too. Like, oh, they ha- they're the only ones to have one of the eight points right. away from from chaos. Yeah, like, that is that's a legitimate thing. Yeah, no, like we we like death. We did some shit. Like I'm, we're good. We can. Like I don't want us to like completely fade from the narrative. Like destruction seems to have that feels right. bad. You yeah. should write all their stories like like propaganda for everyone's factions, and they should all like. If it's like a uh, Animorphs, I'm, an, I have Animorphs on the brain lately. I don't oh. know why. I, I apologize. Hey, remember no, Animorphs fine. had a rotation, yep. right? Yeah. You had Jake, Rachel, uh, Tobias, Marco, Cassie. Later on, they added what was it, Axe? Right, and then right. Well, I think and then and then there was the there every was a, once in a while you'd get the actual guy who was the you know the the alien species. Well, I cannot remember who was the Animorph, right? Like yeah, that's the, Axe, uh, Axe or whatever. Yeah, they right. added Axe later on. Yeah. yeah, but like how they like every other like they they had a rotation to their books. Do yeah. that with you'd the narrative. Like, they they'd get each one of them, and you know they'd mm-hmm. get a new animal, and then yep. you'd go to the next person, and they get a new animal. Yep. Yeah, yep. They had a rotation in animorphs. Do that with people's allegiances. Like nobody should ever be out of the spotlight for that long. I mean, I I totally agree. And what you were saying with with Coach about broken realms, I'd love to. I think that these books. One, we know Games Lock Workshop likes printing books, right? But I think that these give them an avenue to give four people something right Right. so they could continue just putting these out you know every three months whatever they want to actually do Mm -hmm. and they're giving four armies something maybe you don't get something that great this time but maybe the next time it comes around you get to be you know the 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 star in in that book and then three other people get something right it it at least gives even if you don't like the rules for for FEC or OBR, it's something to talk about and think about and be like, okay, well, is this is this something to use? Is this not something to use? The, yes or no? Well, the, right? I talk about the recency bias in Age of Sigmar kind of constantly. Like some stuff just falls out of favor because it's not it hasn't been recent. Like it it it's something like a Broken Realms lets you reassess what you have. It like it gets you looking at your battle tome in a different way, even if the thing that comes out in the new book isn't like isn't top tier S tier competitive, right? You right. go like, wait, okay, well, okay, maybe that doesn't, but you're, you're rereading your book because you're trying to find the stuff that works with that. And then along that way, you discover something else and it gets you, it revitalizes you for your book. Like, it I have... You, it gives you a reason to, you know, dust off the book, crack it open again and either see right. if the if the thing that they put out is better than what you already have or if you have something else that's better than that, right? Right, and while trying to find interactions with the thing that came out, you sometimes find interactions that you missed before. So, like, you don't even use the new thing, but you're like, oh, crap, I didn't even realize that this battalion worked with that thing before. And it's just existing stuff that was overlooked because uh, stuff came out, we got tournament reports, people said this list was broken, that list was bad, and we solved the battle tome. And then we moved on to the next battle tome. And a battle tome like Cities of Sigmar, where that puzzle can just constantly be solved for a new and better thing. Or not new and better thing, but a, a, a new innovation. There's mm-hmm. always some innovation in, the, in a book like that, like, and things like this give you that like sort of second wind to to reassociate uh, or to reevaluate your own your own battle time, and at the very least the excitement. The um, the number of people right now that saw Sloppity Bile Piper is getting a, a freaking battalion uh, that are now telling me new builds they want to try instead of just forty five uh, Blight Kings. I'm like. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I mean, because that's exactly it, right? Well, because, I mean, you think about, you think about, you could have two things. So when you look at, like, the FEC box, you could have had people that have been playing FEC and were only playing, well, I play five dragons and monster trucks and I just push these across the table and right. I don't do anything. 
I don't need to do anything else. And then they see this book and they're like, oh, well, now I can get the archery gen. I can get 20 ghouls and I can get, you know, three horrors or flares. Well, I, you know, it's a, I'll pick that up. And, and now all of a sudden I can run a completely different list if I wanted to, rather than just pushing around my five monster trucks. Right. Um, or you could have somebody that was only more tech guard dot deck. And now they're like, OK, now I can get some death ponies and I can, you know, run not the battalion that they gave me here, but I can run the one that already existed in the book. But I didn't ever pick up death riders before. Right. I was I was told that, like, uh, I should bring 100 more tech guard because it was the most used unit at nova or lvo or whatever and i'm like yeah because they have two battle line and that's the cheaper one what the fuck did you expect that's not right. that's, that's a non-statistic i mean it's it's it says nothing right. it all it says is that like this army has two battle line and people brought the cheaper one what the, right. what, what the hell do you expect they brought a lot of the cheaper one get it get out of here like what what are you trying and people would like post that statistic like more tech guard or overpowered and i'm like you're dumb that's a that's a false equivalency. <laughs> like right. you're, you're drawing a conclusion between like. Yeah, anyway. well, you're drawing a conclusion between. I mean, not only that, but they're also the, like not only they are they points cheaper, but the, like actual dollar wise, they're cheaper too. So like, if you, you get sixty to, for twenty bucks, yeah, or you get yeah. twenty for sixty bucks, it's so 20, yeah, it's so good. Like it's it, it's economical from like actual financial, and then even in the game. So like, it, it's totally. What did a false you equivalency. expect? Right. <laughs> yeah. Correlation does not equ equal causation. Correct. Correct. Um. Yeah. So it, it, I don't know. It was. Yeah. I. I have. I like what they're doing with Broken Realms. Uh. I finally like. I finally. I finally let go. Third edition's coming. I'm like, okay. I wanted a little bit longer with the thing I like, but now I'm trying to like. I'm like hyping myself back up. Um. Because I, I don't like that we're going to a smaller table if that's true, but I'm like, okay, well, now I have a new puzzle to solve. So, like, I have that capacity to, like, well, what's the puzzle? And then, like, that smaller gets me excited. Smaller table just means I get to have another beer at the table and I, not be worried about it knocking it Knocking over. stuff over. Boom. Way to, way to look at the beer glass half full. Exactly. I mean, you, you just – it's just – sometimes it's just a matter of shifting your perspective, you know? Like – Yeah. Like, if you – you'd be surprised how – acceptable something is you know again this is this is kind of what we were talking about with first principles right like we break ourselves down to what's what's at our core the most important and for me the most important thing is just playing age of sigmar i almost don't care a lot about a lot of stuff going on in the game i can find yeah. ways to have tons of fun with this game based on whom whom i'm playing i love the story and the narrative I know, gross. The competitive guy just mentioned <laughs> he likes the narrative. No, there's I I've already pointed out that like obviously if you only care about competition, there's probably other stuff out there that's lower resistance for your competition with better reward. People play Age of Sigmar because they're on board with. Well, I mean, there's there's a reason Guild Ball didn't didn't last, right? Like right. Guild Ball was supposed to be the perfectly balanced competitive game. Right. And, you know, it was low model count. And you could get into it and things like that. Um, I mean, I you know we, it's been said tons of times before, but not even chess is a perfectly balanced game. Like one white, person white gets to go first. first. Yeah, white goes first. And that, like there's still that that aspect to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. Like if Soulbite Grave Lords, it comes out and is the worst army. Um, I'm still going to job with it, and I will find ways to to break that puzzle. Yeah, yeah. I I'm I'm looking forward to to three zero on Soulblight. 
it's going to be hard for for me to care. Worst case scenario, Soul Blight isn't very good when it comes out. Like a, it's a it's a Slanesh thing where like there might be some low there's some low key heat in it, but you're you have to try twice as hard as other people to to post as good of a record, you know, which which can right. be fatiguing at a tournament. You know what I do if that happens? Uh, play my Osiarch Bone Reapers. I, love I was on... like, play OBR. <laughs> like, yeah. I just like even with OBR, like okay, so like I end up with a three and two ceiling or something because I have all these natural predators in the meta. So like I just have a three and two ceiling. Well, I'll dodge. I can go four and one. And you know what? Right. It's such a for me. It's an army I'm so comfortable with that I'm just I'm already having all of my fun for showing up with it, and then I can solve the puzzle of of soul blight in a, a in a lower stress environment with like friends and stuff yeah well, and, i mean if that comes out just just call me up and i'll, I'll drive over and we'll just fix the puzzle soul blight graveyard other, for fun and then play obr glass time. half glass half full i don't have to build as big of a table anymore in exactly. my office my office i'm taking up one third with my new desk setup this is pretty prolific if if some of y'all awesome. in chat gig remember the old camera angle where you can see my like fireplace and my mantle and stuff you, you, you had a pretty good idea of, like, two-thirds of the room is that way. Um, I didn't used to take up this much space for, like, my streaming space. So I've taken up more space, which means I have less space for the table. But if the table's and, smaller... And, and, and your James Workshop, so you made the table smaller. That's it! In your, in, your, in your office. It's like Memento. I don't even realize what I'm doing when I become my James... I, I Tyler Durden. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing when I'm in my James Workshop persona. Right. Like, I made the table smaller. There was a logic to it because, like, on my primal level, I was upset that my office got smaller. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make the table smaller. That will yeah. solve my problems. Like, if I look at everything that happens in Age of Sigmar, Sigmar selfishly, I'm always happy with what's going on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it also means I, I have enough terrain from all my Warcry stuff right. to now for the smaller table. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's it, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I I'm, I'm I'm super happy. Any 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 other questions? Any anything else? Mm, I got nothing else. All right. Well, thank you for calling in. Uh. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you for taking it, taking the call while we're out here at Siege. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Sajil says, "I just build a Sylvaneth list that handily beats the Blight spam." Oh, well, there you go. Um. Overall of beasts, uh, overhaul of beasts of Nurgle and a cost spike and new ability for Scrivener. Oh, what happened? Yes. Yeah. Yep. All right, everyone. Um, I think that'll that'll do it for me. Unless anyone else has a couple, uh, some quick quick fire questions. Um, I believe that'll do it for me tonight. Um. I, I had a great show. Um, I hope you you all enjoyed it. I hope you walk away from this, like I said, with some some common language. Um, most people are pretty intuitive when it comes to like why, when a rule doesn't sit right with them or, or something like that. Like you you feel it why it, you feel it's bad. And so the goal is to give you language to use, give you identifiers, and to give you techniques to sort of extrapolate down to that the first principles mode, understand the premise or 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 search for a premise and then and then look through those for those seven deadly sins uh thank you everyone for joining me thank you everyone who called in all the questions in chat chat gang you're the show within the show you're the reason i do this thing remember to drink your milk pay your taxes and i will talk to you next time i can't i you know i'm i'm excited i'm changing gears i'm i'm excited at possibilities and potential
I think that's what Broken Realms are. I think that's what 3.0 is. If I have that shift in perspective, uh, the doom and gloom is... The clouds part a little bit. And so I, I, I recommend you... You maybe break it down a little bit in your print. You break it down a little bit to your first principles of why you play Age of Sigmar, uh, what you love about this game. Maybe it's people, you know. Uh, the people aren't going away or changing. You know, they'll. There's plenty of great people in this community. So, uh, kicker dropping a thousand RDP. Hotspur dropping a thousand RDP. To remind everyone that chat gang ain't nothing to fuck with. Outro.